Hey, y'all, quick disclaimer, this is a longer episode. Obviously, we're going to be talking about season five, but if you'd like to skip ahead to our interview with director Michael Lang, you can find the timestamp in the episode description. Listeners, welcome to the Season 5 Retrospective episode. This is our fifth victory lap around <laughs> the series Northern Exposure. We did it. Our fifth time around the sun, around Sicily. How do you... Our fifth season in Sicily, Alaska, I guess you could say. And Charles, I just want to get this in up front because I heard a little bit of thunder. I'm recording... I guess I'm not recording in a thunderstorm, but there's a thunderstorm outside of the room that I'm in. It's pretty quiet right now, though, so I think we'll be fine. Uh, okay. How's the weather on, on your side of the world? Uh, very sunny, very hot. I'm sure mm. everyone is experiencing this. Uh, right. You know, like, I think that if you look over, uh, I think it was England right now. Yeah. I, I want to say it's Britain. It's very hot over mm-hmm. there. I, I don't like to minimize other people's heat. There's always, like, a competition in which uh, right. people like to say, like, <laughs> my particular piece of the world is very hot. It's like, I think everyone is very hot right now. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. And, and yeah. I've been in like, you know, Charles, we're in the same state and obviously it's raining here. It's hot there. But uh, what's common about Louisiana is it's very kind of swampy and very humid. And that is a different kind of heat than like a dry heat. I've been in, you know, the dry, the humid heat. And I don't, I wouldn't say either is worse. They, they both, they both are bad. But something about that humid heat, for me, it just makes me sweat more. Like I'm just, everything's wet and hot. Oh yeah, no, definitely. I I don't know about you, but like I sweat very easily. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the minute I step outside, <laughs> uh, it's like a deluge. Right. And, um, yeah, but anyway, we're not okay. here to talk about the weather. We are here to talk about our favorite moments, our fans' favorite moments, just really everything about season five. As you said, our victory lap and, you know, we're not to bring it back to the weather, but it's kind of funny that we are recording this in July, whereas I feel like we sort of every season of Northern Exposure is different. But season three and season four were of similar lengths to this season, you know, 23, 25, I think, episodes. Now we're at 24 episodes in season five. Uh, I think just our 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 release schedule for the podcast has taken a few delays this season, and we're still recording in the heat of summer, which, you know, ha- has been not as bad as I expected. Because, you know, normally we'll we'll finish, we'll do our retrospective episode, usually like in May or something. And it gets hot in the summers, as we've already talked about. I guess it's hot everywhere right now. Yeah. But it hasn't been so bad recording in this heat. I mean, I have to, I have to make it clear that I turn off all my AC and stuff when I'm recording on my, on my side, because I have like a loud window unit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I endure this heat, but it hasn't been as bad as I was worried it would be. Yeah. Well, I do know that in season one, our very first season, mm-hmm. we recorded that 
Uh, starting in May, actually. I know that right. we didn't release episodes until like, I want to say September or October, somewhere a little bit later because okay. we stockpiled episodes. We were like, all right, let's get like four in the bank before we start releasing them. But I do remember that was like our only time in which we used a summer to start a recording. Because ordinarily we save it for summer vacation or like the quote unquote summer vacation. I know <laughs> summer vacation yeah. doesn't exist when you're an adult. Hurricane but, season has been yeah. a, a huge part of our podcast, it turns out. But sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, no, 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 that's okay. But thankfully, yeah, we, we've been fine with the weather here in, in Louisiana so far. Pretty, pretty good, I would say. Um, but anyway, gosh, why is this so much about the weather now? We need to be talking about northern exposure, dreaming about that snow, about season five. Let's just dive in, Charles. Season five, of course, our, our very first episode in season five, Three Doctors, was um, sort of an introduction to a new executive producer, David Chase, uh, you know, replacing Brandon Falsey. I feel like when we were recording that episode, that was sort of a huge shadow that was going to loom over all of season five. What did you think about David Chase, his involvement, or just the, I guess it's hard to say, what do we feel about him, but what do we feel about this season? Has it evolved? Has it changed? You know, I don't think it's too bad. Mm-hmm. I think that we got some classic Northern Exposure feel to it, though I wish they would have focused a bit more on Joel and Maggie's relationship. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like they shelved it as if they just wanted to put it away. But I I didn't get a whole lot of episodes where we felt like they were a couple. It felt mostly that they were two individuals that just decided to stop bickering <laughs> as hard. That's what it felt like. And it never... Right. Except for like select instances, it, it just didn't feel that they were together, which I wish they would have focused a bit more on. Overall, though, I know that some people feel that there's a lot of contrived conflicts, things that didn't right. pop up organically. Yeah. They were constructed by David Chase in order to manufacture maybe a little bit more flavor. Others would say a little bit more melodrama. But I can see I, I can see that. I'm not denying that it's not there. Mm-hmm. There are instances of the characters acting uncharacteristically. Uh, but overall, though, I would say that I don't know if I necessarily felt David Chase's influence thoroughly, but that might be because I'm a first-time watcher, and so I can't feel the waves rocking the boats because it always feels like it's rocking to me. So I don't think I'm a very good barometer to decide if like the influence of this new showrunner is affecting my whole experience. But yeah, what about you, Lee? Do you, what, what are your thoughts about this whole season? I think some things you said, I, I agree with, uh, that's, that's how I'm feeling too, is that I don't think I necessarily felt like a huge shift. And it might just be that we've been living in season five so long that it's become the new normal here. But um, to me, it's more kind of what you were saying, Charles, where there are certain moments that felt very off character, very non-traditional, like uncharacteristic for these characters that have been so well-established. Sometimes they'll do and say things that are just more cruel and mean, just really, really small instances. It's just like, where did that come from? So there are things like that that are peppered throughout. And some people have commented that it's, uh, the show has taken on like a cinematically a more darker look. And there are definitely moments that I noticed that early in the season. And again, maybe I've just kind of adapted to season five at this point, but something I want to touch on that we talked about in our last episode, when we were doing the um, season finale for this season, we were talking about how, I think you said it, Charles was, you know, if you had just watched this episode at random, it might've been hard for you to tell 
that this wasn't a, an episode from like season three or season four or something like that. Like they had kind of really, at least with that season finale, and maybe with some of those episodes towards the end of the season here in season five, really sort of um, returned to a, a, a sort of the feel and the tropes of Northern Exposure so that it felt kind of similar to what it, what it normally feels like. Yeah, I think that you're hitting on something very important is that like, I know it's only been like a year and a little bit of spare change, but for us, it feels like we've been in season five for a very long time. So perhaps our eyes aren't the very best ones to see about this season right here. I think if I had to compare it though, like if you if you stacked up all five seasons that we've seen and which one were the best, I the season five is definitely not on top of the pile. Yeah. It is not the best season uh, that Northern Exposure has seen. I would say that's probably for season three and four. Some might argue mm. and say like two is better, but I, this is just me speaking personally. I think that it took me a while because they were so short. They were only like seven and eight episodes apiece on season one and two. It took me a while to get my feet wet and to understand the characters, the dynamics between them, and just like the town of Sicily in order for me to fully comprehend like what this was all about. I'm a little bit slow on those types of things. So I don't think I was truly understanding it till around season three. Yeah. And then like once season four came in, I was like, okay, now I'm really into it. Like now I'm understanding everything. So I think that season five is like on, on the middle of the pack. Yeah. And I, it's hard to give it a quantitative numerical value, <laughs> but I just want to say that like, just for me, I don't think that it's the worst one. I think I said this in the season four retrospective, but I think I may have said that season three might be the best season of Northern Exposure. But I will say that the first two seasons have better episodes, like some of the, for me, best episodes in the series. Something about season three, it's full season length. And um, the fact that I don't, I can't recall like a particularly bad episode. I'm sure we kind of like listed like this was our least favorite episode in season three. Maybe we didn't, but I'm sure there are like a couple duds here or there, maybe, but it feels like a pretty solid run in season three. Um, and again, like maybe not the best episodes in the entire series, but they really knew they really had their formula. They were hitting their stride. And I think they did some great things. Uh, we cannot forget that in season four, we have the um, the infamous Mike Monroe, which I think we um, we forgave largely, Charles, in our season four retrospective. But that's not to say there are some problems that we recognized with his character. Season five, I wouldn't say does anything as offensive. Maybe I, I don't know if I could say that about Mike. I don't think uh, season five has such an such a strong offense, other than perhaps. Uh, reshaping Ed's character to be more shaman focused, though I'm glad they didn't completely erase the filmmaker aspect of Ed. They kind of made it a balance that he's trying to find between shaman, between filmmaker, what does he choose? And honestly, I think some of the shaman episodes with Ed are actually pretty good. And I like that's Bucking against what I was feeling in the premiere episode, Three Doctors, where I was like, oh gosh, they're going to make him a shaman now. Why can't he just focus on film? He has some pretty cool, he does some cool things as a shaman or as a shaman in training. But did you notice any weird, like uh, major, like what's the Mike Monroe of season five for you? Oh man, I don't think there really is like a Mike Monroe of that. Like 
looking back at it now, I can appreciate Mike Monroe because he was a new character <laughs> and we're, we're getting some we're, we're getting some fresh perspectives. I don't realize how much I actually really enjoy that seeing new characters come in in the middle of the seasons to mm-hmm. really they're not supplanting other characters. They're really just adding to the ensemble. There's a new flavor being introduced that's being swirled into the mix. In terms of season five, I wouldn't say that there is like a Mike Monroe type of thing. I think maybe that's why like season five just kind of feels continuous because on season four, it's fragmented right. because at the beginning quarter, no Mike Monroe. Uh, the next two quarters, Mike Monroe. Maybe like the last string of the episodes, no Mike Monroe. <laughs> yeah. So you kind of like feel the line of demarcation. On season five, it, I mean, as a whole, at least for me, felt like it was just a string of Northern Exposure episodes. Yeah, and there's something you said earlier that I want to piggyback on. You were saying you wish they had more Joel and Maggie. Uh, and it's something that is set up in the very first episode of the season where they're just like, we're going to stop bickering. That's the new us. Um, I will also say that there are some moments in this season with Joel and Maggie. And I think you said this in, in one of the podcasts, uh, one of the episodes we did, which give us such strong faith for their relationship. Like I'm really happy with the way their relationship's going, uh, though. I will piggyback with what you're saying. Maybe there's not enough of that, or maybe it's not as big or as featured in the storylines in the episodes, but there are some fabulous moments that I'm like, wow. And I think you said it, Charles, which I really liked. You were saying something like lamenting the, the knowledge, knowing that, you know, they're going to separate in season, you know, Rob Morrow, Joel Fleischman is leaving in season six. So it just makes us so sad not being able to complete that, uh, you know, they're going to be episodes with Maggie after Joel. And um, that's going to be hard. Yeah, you can't. It's so hard to separate the art from the artist. Not uh, like what I mean by this is that like the behind the scenes information is very hard to (laughs) separate from what you're watching on the screen because you can't help but feel that be like, okay, well, maybe if like there wasn't some sort of like I don't I don't know the specifics of it, but I'm. I'm gathering that maybe it was a contract dispute. Maybe someone wanted more pay. Maybe someone wanted more screen time. Maybe someone wanted less screen time because they wanted to take on feature films. Whatever. You can't help but feel that like maybe there was something going on, which is what's causing Rob Morrow to have less screen time as season five went on compared to the earlier seasons. And that's going to affect the writing. Of course, it's going to affect everything if you don't have uh, a character that should be there but isn't because the actor doesn't is some there's a conflict happening with them so with that knowledge it just kind of it kind of just leaves a bad taste in my mouth every single time i'm getting closer towards season six and thinking about like what's what's going on beyond the scenes this seems to happen on like really brilliant shows mm-hmm. where there's like some sort of thing that's happening underneath the surface that's affecting it like in west wing there was something happening with rob lowe's character where there was a contract dispute and you could feel his character fading away and it was affecting the writing uh the showrunners themselves are wanting to leave so yeah i feel like you know with all that information it's it's hard to want to just take season five at surface value yeah i think there's like a quote from annie hall I, maybe I'm misremembering, but one of those Woody Allen movies where he says something like, we try so hard to get it perfect in art because it's not so easy. It's not so simple in real life. 
And that's kind of true with these shows is like, you know, we have, we're working to make a beautiful piece of art and then real life kind of steps in and actors, you know, actors, agents, producers, whatever, they have their own, their own machinations and their own plans and it kind of gets tangled up. And this is something I think we'll definitely want to investigate when we do season six for the podcast. Uh, but that's, you know, we don't have to worry about that right now. We can still revel in the joys of season five. Should we dive in, Charles, with our rankings, favorite episodes? Yeah, this is the meat, uh, I feel. This is the one where you try to decide which one is our favorite episodes. Uh, Lee, do you want to go first? Sure. I'll, I'll take it first. And I'll, as I, I think I've said on these retrospective episodes, I just want to reiterate, we are not experts. Our opinion is not final. I think, I think what's most important is your opinion, your favorite episodes, which is why we ask every uh, season for these retrospectives to get some, some listener feedback, which we'll get to next. I think that's perhaps more important than our opinion. And, uh, also, this is um, this this these rankings were collected for me at least uh, at the end of the season. You know, like I wasn't keeping score. You know, when we started watching these episodes. Uh, anyway, these were just you know th- these rankings were concocted at the end of the season, and uh, you know, again, like maybe uh, maybe this opinion will change tomorrow or something. You know, this is just it's just what I got for today. But for my top. Number one favorite episode in season five. It's actually very close, but I gave it to Fish Story, which I think, Charles, I mean, I'll let you talk about it on your rankings, but I think this, you've said this is your favorite episode, perhaps in the entire series, one of the best in the series. And it's great. It's got wacky, you know, you know, dream, supernatural stuff going on. We've got Judaism with the rabbi. I love sort of the scope of the episode, how all the town gathers around um, this goonie, this like mythical aquatic creature, as well as something that I think really bumped it up to the top for me was the plot line with Halling and uh, Paint by Numbers and how Chris sort of like talks about why we make art and what is the purpose of making art. Chris has his own opinions and Holling sort of figures out why he he does it himself. Uh, but that's my number one. Number two coming up very close behind, Una Volta in L'Inverno, which I think is a fantastic episode. I loved sort of the bottle episode aspect of Maggie and Joel in the Sicily airport, which is basically a shack. I think one of my favorite aspects of this episode is just the feeling of um, of winter and of the cold, because that, I think we talk about this in the podcast, but um, I think it's either caribou or deer that the mayor is trying to like shoo out of town. There's like a herd of deer. I love that sort of personification uh, or, you know, materialization of the deep winter and the deep cold and everyone, uh, I believe also this is a, a season in Sicily where it's just been dark. Like there hasn't been sun for a while. Also, oh yeah, this is the episode where I realized that Moultrie Patton, who plays Walt, is a fantastic actor. I loved his uh, sort of monologue about how now with the with the light visor, he's gotten so much better, not just productive, but more happier and kind. Like he treats his dog kindly now, which is, I loved that. Um, number three for me, Heal Thyself. It's actually kind of a close tie with three and four, but Heal Thyself is one of those episodes where 
Uh, Ed plays, you know, a budding shaman. And I think it's a great episode. We've got the green man, which is so fun. The first instance of the green man. And I love uh, Leonard Graham Green, the actor Graham Green. Leonard, I love his monologue in this episode about, you know, low self-image and what that is. You know, that's the green man and low self-image is responsible for all the atrocities in the world in, in some ways. Number four, The Mystery of the Old Curio Shop, which I didn't actually think was going to be in my top five. But, you know, going over the episodes today, there's some great stuff in this episode. I think I particularly loved Joel's um, talking with Maggie towards the end of the episode, talking about how, what does he say? There is no mystery at least not the kind you want, all right? In real life, there are no fog-bound moors, there are no clues on matchbooks or, or fifth columnists waiting to be unmasked. I mean, it'd be nice if there were because there'd be solutions to things in life, but it, it doesn't work that way. So you thought about this too, huh? I mean, everyone likes a good detective story. I went through my Hammett phase in college. I think the attraction is, in life, our mysteries aren't exciting, you know? They're just intractable and depressing and enervating. Like, why do we always hurt the ones we love? We wish that our life would be more like a story. And Maggie, I love how Maggie's uh, sort of made this whole mystery in her head because she has these um, unsolved feelings about her father and how her father's not inviting her to his like remarriage or his new wedding or whatever it is. Uh, and I love that this is all sort of internalized and not necessarily like Maggie doesn't just come out in the end and say, you know, I realize why I'm doing this is because I have daddy issues. It's not, she doesn't ever say that, but we infer that very clearly through this conversation and through the, the events of the episode. Um, trying to remember what the other plot lines are in that episode. One sec. Oh, there's one one about Maurice getting older, which is like fine. Uh, but I also liked uh, Joel discovering some Yiddish in the Tlingit language. That was pretty fun. I think that's what kind of bumped it up a little. Number five, for me, might makes right. I really enjoy, I, you know, talking about it, the Cal Ingraham character and that sort of dilemma of basically not even really the character is what I like, but the Guarneri del Jesu. That idea is such a, such a crazy uh, dilemma and quandary and problem that they bring throughout this episode. And, um, you know, the ending of that episode is beautiful because Maggie and Joel are standing out in the snow. And the and after that, the actual ending is Cal playing the Guarneri del Jesu within the mental asylum. And that's such a bizarre, dark ending for an episode, which you know, did not expect Northern Exposure to go there, but it actually kind of worked for me, like how sinister and odd and strange that is of an ending. Um, but before I toss it to you, Charles, I just wanted to say there's there's a lot of like, you know, the way I scored this was like one through five. There's a lot of fours in here for me, a lot of threes and fours. And something I didn't really realize until um, getting maybe like, halfway through the season or a little past the beginning is that we really hit on some fantastic episodes. I forgot how incredible Una Volta in Linverno and Fish Story were. Those are just like stone cold, great episodes. Yeah. There's some good episodes in season five. No, I agree with you. I think even on, on both a podcast level and on an episode level, 
those string of episodes, I want to say it was three of them. Um, Univolta, Fish Story, Gift of the Magi should be the third one. Mm-hmm. I want to say, I don't know if like, we, like, the writing was really good or we were really <laughs> good. I don't want to pat ourselves too much on the back. But like, I felt like, I felt really good for those three weeks. I was like, this is, this is good. Yeah. We're like, we're on fire. The show's on fire. This is some great stuff <laughs> happening right here. Uh, okay. So for my list, I'm going to go from the uh, bottom to top, like okay. the fifth favorite one, counting down to my favorite one. All right, All right. So reverse of what I did. I like it. Yeah. So the fifth favorite one, Jaws of Life. Ooh. That's going to be one in which I thought was really great, if only because of Dr. John Sumner's, the <laughs> dental mobile. He comes into Sicily and he's got this like a really great ending to his plot line where he's standing over the cliff and you're not too sure what he's going to do. And then Chris rolls up and he had his whole thing about taking this medication that might extend his life. And he was trying to come to terms with that because he felt like the Stevens had a short lifespan. He felt that that was built into his DNA. So now he was questioning that. And then to support this idea was also Maurice getting the wax replica of himself. And Mm -hmm. That was introducing a lot of themes of like, you know, understanding who you are and whether the past defines you. Just a lot of neat, interesting themes that were interweaving itself throughout the episode, which is why I really appreciated Jaws of Life. Number four, Univolta Limverno. Just a great, solid episode. And I, I think that me and you like it for the same exact reason, which is that atmosphere mm-hmm. that really dark winter that's swirling about there really is just like a lack of lighting in that one of the standout shots that's still inside my brain right now is the one where we cut to joe and maggie and they're stuck inside that shack and there's a lone light outside the shack with the snow falling um all throughout it Mm -hmm. and there's just darkness around it it's just that soul light that's illuminating that shack and i really like that moment and there's all sorts of and there's all sorts of things like that. The windows at the beginning, at the end, really nice way to tie it all up in a neat ribbon right there. And that's all without even getting into the contents of the episode itself while becoming addicted to a special light visor. <laughs> Ruth Ann and Shelley's trying to talk about the divine comedy. Just lots of amazing things that are happening within. Third favorite episode, which is going to go with three doctors. Three and three mm. right there. <laughs> Looking back at it now... I actually really like Three Doctors. I don't know if like I'm wearing some heavy <laughs> rose-colored glasses or whatever, but I remember that when we were watching it, we were like excited because we were getting into season five. We knew there was a new showrunner. We weren't too sure where things were going to go. And immediately off the bat, we got new sets, new angles of K-Bear, just things in which like it, it felt new. Like the possibilities were endless on where the season was going to go to. And I find myself really drawn to the storyline between Ed and Shelley, at least at this moment. I, I might have said in that particular episode that I don't like the plotline of Ed becoming a shaman. But looking back at it, this can be a really great plotline. Now, that's debatable on, you know, if it ended that way. But the, the fact that they were introducing a new crossroads for Ed and Shelley was there with him. Is something that I thought was really nice. I do wish that they would have handled that a little bit better, like you said, in your overall thoughts of season five. But Three Doctors is surprisingly something which I really enjoyed. Number two, First Snow. 
This one is a fantastic episode. It starts off with such a bang where the patient says that they are going to pass away and there is nothing you can do to stop it. And Joel has to grapple within himself this idea that despite all of his efforts, cannot prevent this despite his job as a doctor. And the snow makes for a very nice theme of just covering up what used to be there. It's a fresh start for them. And that doesn't even include the other plot lines that I thought were really great as well, which is Maurice uh, going along with Shelley and having to reevaluate himself mm. on whether or not she ever truly loved him. I really like the, the gift that he gave her. Sorry, mm-hmm. is this the, yeah, this is the episode where he's like, the past is a lie. I'm going to bury it when he's like running over the gazebo. <laughs> so, such an amazing moment. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, then like Maggie's got like a um, sense of redecorating because she can't quite figure out mm-hmm. what she's missing. So she feels like she needs to redecorate the interior of her home. But overall, I would say the very first plot line involving Joel and that patient, that's yeah. what sells the episode. I think it's very good that you introduce just a nadir in the character yeah. for them to travel to and then try to climb themselves back out of it. And for the very first one, very predictable fish story. Mm. Fantastic episode. It is firing in all cylinders. It is classic Northern exposure. Like I think that our, like our guest that episode was your birthday party. Yeah. And I, I recall somebody, I want to say it was Sam, but I'm not entirely too sure. And she was saying, like, what is going on? <laughs> like, what, like what, what is happening? And that is peak northern yeah. exposure of that feeling of being like, there is way too many parts and mechanics that are happening that don't make sense. Yeah. But somehow, very enchanting to watch. Very intriguing. You can't help but feel that you want to know more about why they're inside this fish. Why are they seeing old things from Joel's past? Why is this rabbi there? There's a lot of subtext that's going throughout the episode. And I think that they handled it in such a fantastic manner. I I love this episode. And it's going to definitely remain as one of my favorite episodes of Northern Exposure of all time. That, yeah. It's a stone cold classic, I would say. And, and there's there's a few of those in this season, which I think makes it really worth, like, I was worried, like, a season five, a low point. And... Hey, even if it is like, you can't skip this. There's so much good stuff packed in here. You know, I forgot to make the joke. I was going to joke that when I was doing my rankings, that Grand Prix was top five, like all, like all five slots. (laughs) There has been a little hate online, or at least on Twitter. I think some on Facebook too, say that they always skip Grand Prix. And I just got to say, it's not even close to like the bottom of the barrel for me for this season. It's a three out of five. I think a large part of why I like that episode is the supporting character of Ted, Ted Banks, Marilyn's uh, boyfriend. He's also in, um, shoot, it might be, it's one of those early season episodes like Jaws of Life or Altered Egos or something. It's, I don't know, it might not be either of those, but it's early in the season. He's also there and I liked him there too, but he's got quite a big storyline in that episode. Like he's kind of featured in there and he's great. Do you, but speaking of, you know, I don't know if we've done this before. I don't think we need to like stick on it, but do you have a, a least favorite episode? I have one that is the lowest ranking for me. I'll just go ahead and say, uh, 
not that it's a bad episode, but when I ranked them all, the lowest scoring was A River Doesn't Run Through It. That's the one with Jack Black. Unfortunately, I could never skip this episode. Like, well, I mean, why would you skip an episode? I think they're all good, but you can't skip this one because it's Jack Black. You know, it's like Jack, young Jack Black. There's some fun stuff. There's great stuff in that episode, but to me, it is uh, the lowest ranking, I guess. But as I was saying, yeah, can't really get too mad at it. I... It's not that I particularly disliked it, but I think that Birds of a Feather yeah. might be my most negatively viewed one. And it's strange because it has a lot of meat to mm-hmm. be good. You get a backstory of Joel's parents coming in. Like, come on, it's their first time. You can't help but feel like this is going to be fantastic. But I feel like it just doesn't thread the needle very well and the ending kind of soured me on it. So Strange uh, ending, yeah. I would, <laughs> yeah, so I would say that that's probably my least like one. It scores low for me too, but revisiting it, uh, there's a, you know, we talked about this on the podcast, Charles, but there's a shot that we both really loved in that episode where it's like after a little meal that Joel had with his mom and dad in, in his like cabin, Joel is sitting with his dad and like, they've got toothpicks sort of like picking their, picking at their teeth. They're both sitting with like a lamp and it's a static shot that just hangs on them for a really long time. And I think they're talking about like his dad is talking to him about coronary bypass surgery. What do you think about that? And Joel says, it's complicated. And he says, uh, what the procedure? And he's like, no, that's a complicated subject, which indicates that Joel is like not comfortable talking to his dad about, you know, talking openly about these like serious things with his dad. And even so much, you know, that's when the shot sort of breaks. Cause Joel's like, Hey, where's mom? And like, she's out on the uh, patio or on the uh, porch, like looking at birds. And also, it is goofy, the special effects that they do when she does like the flying sequence. I almost wonder, honestly, I do think the episode could have been way better if that sequence was properly executed. I'm not like blaming anyone. That's probably limitations of time, money, and just time, you know, the era in which this show was produced. But imagine they could have been really trippy and out there. I think that's what they were aiming for when Nadine, his mom, like is flying. But what we get is a very quick cut. Like, obviously, they didn't have the footage. They couldn't make it work, so they had to cut it really quickly, and you don't really see much. Seems very goofy when she does fly. But I think it would have been better, yeah. I don't know. I think I think on paper, it's a good, it's a good moment. Just on screen, it doesn't land. Anyway, do you have any favorite moments outside of uh, your top five? Uh, I do have, okay, so I have listed down here two favorite moments, one that's not in the top five and one that is. So I feel like, you know, yes or no. Okay. Well, hit me. Uh, okay. So I'll talk about the one that I haven't listed and it's the one with Chris and the deer. It is in the episode, the gift of the Maggie and it's Chris with the deer. And I really enjoyed this scene because he constantly revisits it. It's not just one shot. I want to say he revisits it three separate times. And every single time, it's pretty similar. But like whenever he goes to it, you understand that there's something up. There's something not right. Mm -hmm. You can feel almost that, you know, you're not too sure where it's going to go. You're not too sure if Chris is really going to shoot this deer. There's a sense of mysticism going around with the left behind bottle of alcohol and apples. There is a lot of character reflection, too, within Chris of him going through his mind to be like, am I really going to go through with this? And I think that imagery of him emerging from the river and going into the snowbanks is 
really branded into my brain. I think that's a fantastic shot. And Mm -hmm. it's why it's stuck with me as one of my favorite moments. Yeah. And I just, we talked about this on the podcast, but I really appreciated that at the end of the episode, there's no real solution to what Chris is going through. He just kind of muses about the idea of synchronicity. Like the end of that plot line is not really an answer to like the mysteries that he's encountered. It's more just like, huh, synchronicity, this, that's an idea. Isn't that strange? Isn't that cool? And that's it. It's like, it's kind of cool <laughs> that there's an episode where they like, just want to talk about this topic. Right. <laughs> uh, and I would say my favorite moment of season five is in episode one, three doctors. Mm. And it's in that scene where Ed's got his hand in the ground and yes. Shelly comes and visits him with, I want to say she brings some food with her too. And her and Ed just start talking about what they're going to do. Shelly with her baby and Ed with his career. It's two youths with that infinite road in front of them standing at the entrance to the universe. They can't possibly know what's to come. They can't possibly feel why they are, but they just know that there's something there. They can feel it in their bones that this is something magical. So with like that gorgeous wide mountain in the back and an even wider future in front of them, it's really quite something to see. And I I, I just love that it starts off season five. And I, I love that scene. I, I talked about it before. I know I did in that particular episode. But the magic still remains in that uh, 24 episodes later. I can still think back on it, how fondly of that giant mountain that just looms over them. Yeah, you know, that I wrote that too as one of my favorite episodes, one of my favorite moments, I should say, of this season, uh, right in the beginning there. That is such a powerful scene. I kind of screwed up when I wrote favorite moments because, as I mentioned when I was ranking the episodes, I went back and kind of scrubbed through every episode. And I thought back, like looking at all the the moments, uh, rewatching the episode, like kind of scrubbing through, I wrote down like my favorite moments and my memories of my favorite moments for every episode in the season. So, and it's very, it's very short. So I'm just going to barrel through it real fast. Hopefully this isn't too boring. Hopefully it's interesting and reminds you of moments that you may have forgotten. Cause you know, I looked over like the Wikipedia has, uh, there's a great Wikipedia article called list of Northern exposure episodes where it lists them all, the director, the writer, the air date, all that stuff. I use that pretty much every episode of the podcast. I refer to that and they have synopses for each episode, but just reading those doesn't give you the full scope of like what was happening in that episode. Uh, so quickly, uh, I already mentioned my favorite moment from the first episode, Three Doctors. Episode two, Mystery of the Old Curio Shop. I mentioned that uh, Joel's sort of monologue about mysteries in real life. Also honorable mention in that episode at the end, Maurice goes skinny dipping. And there's that song by um, Lindsey Buckingham, DW Sweet. That's pretty great. Uh, Wait, is that the one where he like jumps on that, on that cliff? <laughs> he jumps from a cliff and it ends in a freeze frame. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's season five. That's the, I can't. That's, I can't. The, <laughs> that's the end of that episode. I think that's also the episode where he says, you're sticking pins in my doll because uh, he's like old. He's like complaining <laughs> about being old. Um, all right. Episode three, Jaws of Life. You know, actually, I didn't rank this one very high, but after you talking about it, I remembered I really loved that actor of the dentist. He's really good. Uh, there's some interesting choices in like in some of the scenes uh, that he has. But I also wrote that moment where he's up on the cliff with uh, Chris 
one of my favorite uh, moments in that episode. Episode four, Altered Egos. I love, so this is one where Joel misplaces his wallet for like a few seconds and then he finds it, but he's like, I, I forgot my wallet. I can't believe I forgot my wallet. I'm losing my New York edge. There's a great scene where he walks outside uh, and he joins Walt, who's just eating sunflower seeds. And they start, you know, like shooting the shit, like, uh, you know, oh, country man. folk. <laughs> it's so That's good. a good scene. That is such a good scene. That, You're right. That is like got to be one of the best scenes in the entire series. And it's, you know, it can only come here in season five because we're reaching this arc of Joel becoming more and more Sicilian. Um, episode five, that was a river doesn't run through it. Jack Black, I guess that's a memorable thing of that episode. <laughs> episode six, birds of a feather. We talked about that just now. Uh, Joel sitting with his dad talking about coronary bypass surgery. Um, episode seven, Rosebud, Joel's truck explodes. I wrote down, this is the episode with the Sicily firefighters, the volunteer firefighters. I like when his truck explodes. I don't know. <laughs> and Peter Bogdanovich <laughs> is really fun in this episode as well. Episode eight, Heal Thyself. Uh, I talked about that already in my in my top five ranking. Episode nine, A Cup of Joe. Um, there's some goofy puns about cannibalism. That's what I wrote down as a, as a fun scene. Episode 10, First Snow. We talked about that, Charles, but uh, Maurice destroying the gazebo is hilarious. And that <laughs> ending montage... With Bon Iver. Of course, we have uh, Northern Exposure to thank for Bon Iver's namesake, the, the musical artist. Baby Blues was a good episode. Donald Logue, amazing guest star. Regina King as uh, Mother Nature, pretty fun. And the fact that they focus on um, the not-so-pretty aspects of pregnancy and maternity is great. Um, gosh, this list is actually getting pretty long, so I'll just uh, jump through. Mr. Sandman has some great dream sequences, might makes right. I talked about sort of the Guarneri del Jesu, bolt from the blue. Uh, of course, Ed gets struck by lightning. This is amazing. And Leonard's response, don't carry metal objects in a thunderstorm. Hello, I love you. Uh, this is baby Miranda, just such an amazing ending for that episode. Northern hospitality. I actually really enjoyed um, Chris's whole thing about censorship. This is the one when someone commits suicide because of some things that um, Chris plays on K-Bear. That's a very interesting storyline for me. Uh, Una Volta in Linverno. We talked about this, but I forgot to mention, I actually must have forgot or didn't recognize there's a dream sequence in the very beginning of this episode where Joel is like at a doctor conference and all the doctors are women in bikinis. I didn't notice this, but the, the ladies in bikinis are also, I mean, they're wearing bikinis, but they also have stethoscopes, which just seems like, why are they wearing stethoscopes? And it's like, you would expect a lab coat, but they're, you know, or a white coat. Um, anyway, uh, Fish Story is amazing. We talked about that. Uh, Gift of the Magi, or Gift of the Maggie, we talked about synchronicity. A Wing and a Prayer, I also really loved. I loved the, that's the episode where the priest comes to baptize baby Miranda Loved sort of that separation of man and holiness and ritual and sanctity is really great. I feel the earth move. Uh, it's it's good. You know, I love Ron and Eric, so I like a Ron, Ron and Eric-centric episode. Uh, I talked about Grand Prix, me loving Marilyn's boyfriend. Uh, blood Ties, again, has a nice atmosphere to it. The Blood Drive, we got Ronaldo Pine Tree. Finally, the season finale uh, Lovers and Mad Men. I love that they brought Cal back. I love that we see Samansky falling in love with Maurice and actually bending her own principles to 
allow Maurice a second chance and things like that. And gosh, that was too long. I think I won't do that again for season six. But uh, <laughs> no, I think that's nice. I think it's a really nice refresher of just like how much they're able to pack in into the season right there. Yeah. I mean, shoot, like the, the I mean, we just watched it, but like Lovers of Mad Men, that scene where Samansky confronts Maurice and says, like, this is the story you're going to go with. Mm-hmm. This is it. And he goes, like, this is it. This is how it ends. And I think that's like such a good moment right there. <laughs> One thing though that I think we we okay so like we didn't have a category for this. We talked about favorite moments, but the favorite location Ooh. of this season oh. gotta be the laundromat, the laundromat. man. <laughs> I, it's not. I would say it's not my favorite location, but it's the show's favorite location. They go back to that so much, and this is uh, yeah. It's the Mike Monroe of season five. <laughs> yeah, I forgot when you were listing off all those moments. I was like, oh yeah, that happens in a laundromat. Wait, that happens in a laundromat too. <laughs> oh yeah, they're walking to the laundromat in that moment. That thing was like, I don't know why they focused on that. I mean, we had subtext reasons. We were like, maybe they're trying to like wash themselves anew. Maybe they're trying to find what's missing in the pile. But like, <laughs> honestly, those early episodes really hit hard on that laundromat. Yeah, that's very true. And it's there, it's kind of there and talked about, even when you don't see it, it's in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, we talked about favorite moments, but let's move a little bit in the exact opposite direction. What were some of your least favorite moments? Mm. You know, I don't really, I didn't write down necessarily like least favorite things that happened, but let me think off the top of my dome. I mean, we talked about, I talked about my least favorite episode. Um, Was there anything like just offensive about this season? I'm trying to think. Well, Mm. I mean, we talked about this also like at the very beginning, but the, what we were attributing as the um, influence of David Chase, anytime a character says something a little rude or like there's this contrived conflict. Like for instance, in that episode where Joel, um, he, he hears about the Sicily volunteer firefighters. He doesn't want to join them. And then later his car explodes and he thinks because he didn't join or he didn't come to the, uh, the volunteer thing, he didn't sign up. He thinks that they're, um, the, that Ruthann, who is sort of like the firefighter chief is like, um, putting him, at the bottom of the list in when it comes to response, because his truck's on fire. There's like a goat that they need to save from a barn. And Ruthann decides not to uh, rush everyone away from the barn, but to stay there. And then Joel's truck, which is on fire, explodes. He, um, I think he sues or like he writes up like he's going to sue Ruthann or no, he, um, he writes, he writes her like a, a invoice or, you know, basically like saying like, you owe this much money because, uh, you decided not to help me. I thought that was a silly um, plot line to go down. Yeah. Uh, you know, on a similar tone, just like you, where it felt like things are just going uncharacteristically on what the characters would do. I would say that Ed spilling the gossip on Ruthann has mm. got to be one in which I felt like was the most least necessary plot line. Mm-hmm. And I thought there was going to be some twist involved with it, but really it follows from A to B to C where like Ed spills the gossip Ed realizes he shouldn't have done that. He asked for forgiveness and then um, that's pretty much it. I felt like that it was such a wasted opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I was like, even just then I was like, is Ed even like the character that would do this? Like I get he's young and stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's a little bit loose lipped, but I don't know. Just wasn't a fan of that. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like 
I think for me, it's just like little moments like that. It's not necessarily nothing that was um, that really stuck out like a sore thumb, except for very short. And I guess that is a plot line too. But um, like those are the two plot lines that come to mind. But hey, let's toss it to uh, the listener feedback. So we asked for people to write in with their fan favorite moments. Uh, favorite episodes and moments, just anything they'd like to say about season five. And um, I'll start with some responses that we got on Facebook. This was from the Club NX on Facebook, uh, which is has been a fantastic uh, group of like Northern Exposure fans online. It's incredibly active. Like I feel like every day there's like new stuff uh, always getting posted there. Anyway, we posted... Uh, you know, what are your favorite episodes and any feedback you have on season five? Let's see. Jill Taylor wrote, hello, I love you. First snow and three doctors, which we've talked about. Those are some fantastic episodes. Um, Casey Karkoff Williams wrote Bonnie Vare, which is, I guess, referencing first snow. That's the episode where they say Bonnie Vare so much. Uh, Lucy P. Dickinson, hello, I love you. Again, like some we can see like fan favorites. These are some great episodes. And lastly, Eric Anderson, definitely agree. First Snow, hello, I love you. That communal gathering at the end of First Snow is brilliant and perfect meaning of NX. And then Shelly seeing Miranda at different stages of life is touching. That was in a hello, I love you, which is actually pretty cool. That's another laundromat. That's the time travel uh, laundromat episode. But I did think that was very interesting in the way that each version of Miranda is evolving in, in such interesting ways. I like that. Uh, Charles, do you want to read uh, some responses we got on Twitter? Okay, coming in. All right, we have Nate, who has, oh man, I forgot. Nate's got such a good Twitter <laughs> handle. At Sam Seaborn-esque. Yeah. Sam Seaborn. Obviously played by Rob Lowe in the West Wing, but his says hands down. And it's a picture of Ruth Ann on her motorcycle <laughs> in uh, Fish Story. Right. It's, uh, her just. <laughs> she steals Chris's motorcycle. Yeah. It's just her going out and about right there. It's a great moment right there. And Nate also wrote in to say his favorite pod moment was me dishing out A-plus tips for how to game extra long wedding booze lines. Yeah, what episode was that we were talking about? Wed oh, it was the wedding yeah, it's episode. it's got to be the wedding yeah. episode. Uh, I feel the earth move. <laughs> yes, that's got to be it. Uh, and then finally, we have at BillyG09. They say, final scene with Bonnie Vare and Maggie and Joel's kiss at the end of Might Makes Right. Two mm. fantastic moments right there. Uh, do you want me to read the emails that we got uh, for their favorite moments? Sure. Wait, actually, I think there's one more. Let me see. There's Twitter is like a weird way. I don't, I still don't know how Twitter, I am not how a you fan like open of up like, Twitter. Like how you do gotta you gotta like open the individual thread <laughs> to see more and you're like, what, why is this not out in the open? Yeah, we've got, so there was one more from at your sticking P1, which I think the, the username was your sticking pins in my doll. Uh, they said the last few minutes of the final episode where Joel resignedly admits he's a Sicilian. That's in Lovers and Mad Men. We talked about it on the pod. That's pretty great when we finally, that really makes it feel like a good finale moment. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. So going in from the emails, we have Alon who talks about how he watched Northern Exposure as a teenager as reruns and how much he loved it. He said that his top five favorite episodes in random order were Hello, I Love You, Fish Story, First Snow, 
Birds of a Feather, and Rosebud. Mm. Again, five fantastic episodes. And he liked in particular Jerry Adler as Rabbi Shulman. Good choice. And Peter Bogdanovich as himself. And also meeting Joel's mom and dad. Yeah, you know, for as much, you know, as low as I had rated Birds of a Feather, I do think the casting and the characterization of Nadine and... um, I can't even remember what his dad's name is, but Nadine is the mom and Joel's dad uh, was pretty, was pretty cool. I think it was pretty interesting to meet them and see them interact and how Joel has difficulty sort of opening up to his father, which we mentioned, but I love at the end, uh, Joel has like his uncle Manny's jacket, smoking jacket, and his mom is there and they're talking about that and being quiet and listening, you know, things like that. But yeah, thanks, Alon, for writing in. I think you've also written in on Twitter a couple times. Uh, so thanks for writing in now to the email. What do we got? What do we have after that, Charles? We have, and I, I'm definitely saying the name wrong because she was, she's got to be the one that just sent that uh, that response that I was reading off. Oh, let's Billy see. John, is you Biliana, I'm guessing. Biliana? Yeah. yeah. This she was a, Yeah, this is a long, she says, a very long comment on season five. <laughs> but I definitely want to touch on a lot of stuff here. So I've got it in front of me. Why don't you read a, like some parts of it that you like? I'll, I'll find some things as well. Well, I'm going to read the, I'm going to read the like the favorite moments part. Okay. And then we can get into them. You can handle the, the meat of the email. Okay. But she writes that her favorite episodes were A Fish Story, Might Makes Right, First Snow, Mr. Sandman, and Hello, I Love You. Her favorite moments were the Bonnie Vare scene, Ruth Ann running off on Chris's motorcycle, Holly and Shelly holding newborn Miranda, Joel and Rabbi inside of the fish, Maggie and Joel's kiss in the snow after the official date, Eve telling Chris to cut his salary in half. I still laugh when I remember that brilliant reply. Maurice lying about Ingraham's whereabouts to Officer Szymanski in order to set him free, and many more. She writes, Overall, season five isn't bad. It's just different than the previous four. I do agree with criticism that the quality is just not the same with Chase as it was with Brandon Falsey, but nevertheless is still done very well. Season six, on the other hand, not so much. Okay, Lee, (laughs) why don't you take us a little bit more in depth into our thoughts? Yeah, well, first off, I thought it was interesting. I wanted to point out, uh, Biliana told us that she lives in Croatia and that Northern Exposure was, you know, very impactful even outside of the U.S. Obviously in Croatia, she said the show first aired over there in 1992 when she was 11 um, and she was hooked. That's pretty interesting. Thinking about, because Charles, I told you I watched this show in high school, but imagine like even watching this as a, like sort of a child, you know, 11 years yeah. old as a child. Um, Hang on, uh, really quickly. I also wanted to say that mm-hmm. um, the previous writer for the email, Alon, Mm-hmm. He is also from, not from the U.S., he was mm-hmm. from Israel. Yeah, and I guess we should say uh, quickly about that. Alon started watching, oh, you mentioned when he was a, sort of like when he was a teenager. A teenager. Yeah, but anyway, back to back to Biliana uh, at 11 years old. Um, you know, she says it was a hit show in Croatia at the time in 92. And then it's been, um, it's had, you know, revivals and reruns since then. Um, but she says the latest rerun in Croatia started last September. So they're actually still airing that over there, which is so cool. They, I wish I lived I, in Croatia. Come on. But didn't we have also <laughs> okay. another person write in who moved to Croatia, I think, kind of inspired yeah, yeah, by yeah. the show? We talked about yeah. that on the uh, Patreon, but, but yeah. Right. 
Hey, this is Lee just punching in real quick to say that I was way off. Uh, uh, the person who wrote in was Sam, who moved to Slovenia, which is, you know, north of Croatia, but a completely different country. We're going to talk about that email um, from Sam a little bit later in this episode. And I think it's like, okay, before we get even more into our thoughts, I just wanted to say that, like, it, it's unique that Northern Exposure gets a lot of people that are outside the U.S. that are really big fans of it. Because mm-hmm. for a while, we're, we're not anymore, but for a while, we were, like, trending big in Shibuya, Japan. <laughs> and I asked uh, some people that were like, in Japan, I was like, yo, what is up with this? And they were like, oh, yeah, they started doing, like, reruns, man, like, uh, like a couple months ago. I yeah. Like, That's crazy. You're still doing reruns of Northern Exposure in Japan. Shibuya is like one of the, that's where like the youths hang out. Like that's like the hip cultural spot. Yeah. So like, it's like these like 20, like young kids. That's pretty cool. Uh, Some young Japanese kids are watching this 30 year old show. And I guess like, (laughs) that's what we're hoping for is like this, like, uh, you know, this is like retro now. So this could be cool with the kids. I don't know. (laughs) Hopefully they'll bring it back. I, I think it's great that other people can like Sicily is like a place in which like it's not distinctly American. It's it's like it's his own flavor. Right. And people from all around the world want to just join in on it. But anyway, uh yeah, continue forward with the thoughts. Right. Yeah. So that's cool that it started uh re- the show started reruns last September in Croatia. Biliana says she started listening to the podcast like kind of as this uh this rerun started. And her take on season five. I think uh, it would be important to point out some things because it's kind of what we were talking about, Charles, when you were asking me least favorite moments. She points out um, the arrival of David Chase definitely changes the tone and the atmosphere of the show. It seems different, darker, not just in a visual sense. It does keep its light drama, comedy genre, but some situations and characters' traits are exaggerated and some are even out of character. Uh, so she lists a few different ones. So these are some good examples of what we were just trying to latch onto Charles, but, um, this is early on in the season. There's like a moment where Maurice is yelling at this ticket taker, this girl working the cinema kiosk, um, you know, the box office there, he's yelling at her and being grumpy at the restaurant later. Biliana points out that it's not out of character for Maurice to be sort of like this curmudgeon, but it's dialed up at least three notches too much, she says. Also, Joel insults Maggie in episode one. I forgot what exactly he says, but it is, I remember us being like, wow, that was a little harsh. Like, why is Joel going there? Uh, Chris mocking Holling for not being into sports because Holling uh, doesn't want to play baseball on the TV. In the, in the brick, there's that moment. Bilian also points out some of the plots that were a little too grim for Northern Exposure, like that Hollywood agent being eaten by wild dogs. Ah, oh, man, I forgot <laughs> about that. That was dark. We don't <laughs> see that on screen. So it's so funny how I thought it was actually pretty funny, but it is actually pretty grim. And they kind of, there's a moment in the episode where someone's like, yo, someone just died. Like, don't you know, Ed is talking about, I need to find a new agent. And someone is telling him, this man just died. Can't you just like have some reverence there? So I think the show is maybe, maybe they're trying to make it kind of a goofy thing, but also they're trying to show reverence too, because one of the characters points that out, that it is kind of grim. Um, Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's, you know, there's, there's, plenty that Biliana wrote. And I got to thank you again, Biliana, for writing in and sharing your thoughts. It's always interesting to hear 
from other fans of the show. And, you know, I think you offered some very great commentary to a lot of these moments in, uh, in season five. Did you have anything, Charles, that you, uh, picked up on in this, in this email that you'd like to point out? Uh, no, I think that you really hammered home on a lot of her major points right there. Um, I think that she was fair on mm-hmm. her assessment of it. And oh, yeah. she wrote that like, you know, she felt like there were some darker plot lines that didn't really need to be done and that Joshua Brand and John Fousey would have probably reeled it in. She talked about how David Chase, despite his hatred of Northern Exposure, did pump out some pretty great episodes throughout it. She talks about other little things about how she really enjoyed Joel and Maggie's relationship. She loved Ron and Ehrlich's wedding and how well it was done that these were just two human beings with normal human issues and doubts instead of, you know, going over the fact that this is a same-sex marriage. It could have easily gone in the wrong direction of gay stereotypes and gay TV tropes, but Northern Exposure did not do any of that. Mm-hmm. So like Lee said, thank you, Biliana, for writing in with such a great in-depth message. Yeah. And Charles, we have one other uh, email that I'd like to get to. And this one is a voice recording from Paul Madavi Bernstein. It's actually funny. I joked with them uh, over email that I've been saying Bernstein this entire time because, uh, they, you know, they've written in before. And this is the same Smokey Bernstein from KBear570.com. If you haven't checked that out, it's sort of like an internet radio station, uh, very Northern Exposure inspired and themed. And they have multiple different DJs. Uh, You can like stream from just like from their homepage, stream the radio station. And uh, let's see, Smokey Bernstein is on on Saturdays, Saturday mornings, I guess, till noon. And... uh, it says on Sunday they do an episode binge with Club NX. That's the Facebook group. So I think you might be able to stream some episodes if you watch on Sundays. Uh, but anyway, let's hear from Paul Madavi Bernstein uh, what what their thoughts are for this season. Hey, Lee and Charles, this is Paul, a.k.a. Smokey Bernstein on KBR570.com. Thanks for doing what you do for this uh, podcast. It's pretty amazing. I agree with you going into the season. I thought we were heading downhill, but there are brilliant gems that still sparkle the soul. One moment is from Rosebud when uh, Leonard reflects with Ed. The path to our destination is not always a straight one, Ed. We go down the wrong road, we get lost, we turn back. And maybe it doesn't matter which road we embark on. Maybe what matters is that we embark. And then Ruth Ann and the Diablos rebelling against arthritis and such. (laughs) In life, sometimes you gotta run the gauntlet full throttle. And finally, Nadine, cheerio-eating eagle spirit, reminds me of my mom. Saying to Joel, shh, I didn't do that enough for you. Her flight is all it needed to say. Thanks again. Your podcast brings a quality time to my LA commutes and dishwashing sessions at home. Take care. I just wanted to say at the end there, uh, the the dishwashing sessions. I do I do listen to podcasts when I dishwash as well. Do you, Charles, do you listen to podcasts much and do you have a, a favored activity? Yeah, I think that podcast lend themselves really well to commuting, um, along with dishwashing and everything that is involved with just doing something in which you're also allowed to listen to something. So, yeah, so we're glad that we're able to provide this service to you. I definitely do that for a lot of podcasts myself. Uh, Lee, what about you? Yeah, dishwashing, uh, folding clothes. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um 
maybe maybe a lot of the same podcasts, but I feel like it is almost sort of a bad habit that uh, I will turn them on. I think what's great about podcasts is I don't think with any podcast, I don't think I feel like I need to listen from start to finish. I pause it often and then I'll pick it up right where I left off. That's, I think, what's so, what makes them so easy to digest. Uh, at least I hope that's what our listeners do because our podcasts have gotten very long with the last <laughs> season that we did too in season four. Got some long podcast episodes. Uh, but I wanted to talk about um, Paul's Paul's comments here. I really loved, I had even forgotten about in Rosebud, Leonard's storyline there is he's trying to figure out uh, what the, you know, stories are so important for Native Americans. What are the white people, like what are white person's stories? And he concludes in the end, because uh, he sees Ed watching Citizen Kane, like this is white people's medicine. This is their, you know, this is their stories, our, our films. Uh, you know, Ed watch has seen Citizen Kane so many times and it has, it speaks to him in a lot of ways. And I think that's what he compares to those healing stories that uh, the, the natives use. Because I think when he first asks the townsfolk to tell him stories, it's all urban legends and things like that. That is like <laughs> what white people tell stories. But really, it's the movies, maybe, at least for Ed. Right. Paul talks about how he loves how Ruth Ann was running the gauntlet with the Diablos. <laughs> Seems like that's like a really big favorite moment yeah. of the fans in a fish story, which... I wonder if that's the reason why so many fans rank it so high up there and not because of the rabbi plot. Though maybe no. they're probably equal. They're equal, you know? I would think. I don't know. You might be right. <laughs> but I, yeah, you just can't look past that uh, belly of the whale. That's so wacky. It's so good. Okay. Well, Charles, uh, I think we've done our sort of fan listener feedback, fan favorites. Let's move on now to um, favorite characters, favorite guest stars. I just want to talk about, so favorite character this season, I want to touch on something you said earlier, how like you wish um, there would be more Joel and Maggie in this, in that, you know, maybe the the show has evolved so far that all of these supporting characters are kind of now becoming ensemble and we kind of lose this lead thread with Joel. Honestly, for this season, I couldn't pick a favorite character because there's so many different characters leading their their own plot lines that are going on. If I had to pick one, maybe Ed or Joel, but I think that's a characteristic of this season is that, and maybe true for season four as well, is that we've really established everyone so so thickly, I guess, that that every character holds their own, you know? Yeah. Uh, I largely agree with you. I, I have a favorite character if only because hmm. they were newly introduced. So I like, you gotta give it to Walt. Got to give it yes. to the Molten Patry, <laughs> who, by the way, I know I've talked about this before, that they got to get him <laughs> a new Wikipedia, Wikipedia page, Wikipedia man. Picture. They got to change that, man. For those of you who don't know, it's his final resting place. It's a picture Come of a tombstone, on. right? Yes. Come it's, on, I made man. the joke, I'm, but it's like, you know, people searching Moultrie Patton. I think Wikipedia just, Wikipedia thinks that sh when you search Moultrie Patton, you're asking, is he alive or dead? And they're like... Don't worry, he's dead. Like we can answer that for you. <laughs> That's no, unless it's like family or himself specifically requested that. You never see that for anyone else on their Wikipedia. You don't like Google George Washington. It's like his tombstone. Like, come on, people. The Washington Get Monument. Yeah. Um, yeah, we already talked about this, but there's a great picture of him on Google of him like because he's a 
apparently like a jazz pianist or a musician, yeah. a jazz musician. There's him sitting on a pi- like, uh, you know, resting on a piano. Um, looks great in that photo. Uh, anyway, yeah, he's spectacular. Uh, technically, he's introduced, I think, towards the end in season four. Uh, that was the episode Love's Labor Mislaid. So he has a couple appearances maybe in season four. But I really love how he's like a full-blown character now. And we have like his romance with Ruthann in, uh, I want to say that's Hello, I Love You. Uh, gosh, such great moments. I really loved him, as I already mentioned, in Una Volta in Linverno. Love that stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely moved on from being a guest star. He's He's like... Fully part of the cast now. But if you asked me who was your favorite guest star, mm-hmm. I would have to say it's Jimmy Ray Weeks playing Ranger Burns in Bolt oh, from the Blue. You know, I can't say that. I love the I love the original Ranger Burns more, but that's maybe just a stickler in me because God, that is a great that is a great character and a great episode. But t- tell me about your choice here with Bolt from the Blue and Ranger Burns. I just remember his performance really sticking out to me. Yeah. I, I, even if the episode didn't particularly stand out, I, I do like it. Don't get me wrong on that. I think that there, that there are some fantastic points in there. And says so that Ranger Burns, for his limited screen time, really sold the idea of this person that was not wanting to go back into civilization. Mm-hmm. He was just a person that was like wanting to talk with Joel and trying to become his friend just trying to understand how to reassimilate back in. And I loved it. I love the ending of his arc in that episode because uh, his whole thing in that episode is he talks a little too much because, you know, he's been isolated so long. So when he meets someone, he just like kind of talks and talks and talks. And then they're watching this President's Day fireworks event and uh, he starts to uh, talk to Joel. He's like, you know, the Chinese actually, some people believe that the Chinese invented uh, fireworks, and he starts talking about this dynasty and this dynasty, and then he sort of cuts himself off, and he's like, you know, not that it really matters that much, and he's smiling, and Joel's like, it's okay, man, it's fine, like, uh, you know, you don't have to be, you don't have to be uh, self conscious about that around me, but it's cool, you know, he he catches himself when he's going on a little too long, and he's not ashamed of it. Ranger Burns is not ashamed of it. He's kind of smiling. He's like, oh, you know, but it doesn't really matter that much. You know, we can look up and enjoy the fireworks. What about you, Lee? Yeah. Okay. So for me, bar none, my favorite guest star has got to be Ted Banks, played by Tim Sampson. And as I mentioned, he's, uh, he, let's see, what's the other episode he comes up in? Let me figure this out. It is Altered Egos. He comes up, uh, Ted Banks is introduced in Altered Egos. And I really liked him in that episode too, but I really do something about his storyline in the episode Grand Prix, really liked that. He's like grippling with money and like seeing what rich people are like. And he's uh, he's got this problem because he doesn't, he's finally able to make a lot of money now. And how is that changing him? He doesn't, he's not a rich person, but now he can finally think about, now that he has money, he can think about starting a family. He has a little money, you know, he can start thinking about the next step with Marilyn. And he's, I don't know. I really love that character. I think this could just be my favoritism, but I think he's a great actor in that episode. I think he does some great stuff. And it part of the reason why I've listed him as my favorite guest star is because I'm so sad that he does not return in season six. He's literally just in those two episodes this season. I would have loved to see him do more. It's not like he stopped acting. We talked about this. He's in some other stuff after Northern Exposure. But yeah, that's that's my favorite guest star. Yeah. 
giant shame. Like I, <laughs> like, yeah, like you said, giant shame that he doesn't appear again in Northern Exposure. But you know, got to take him where you can get him, man. <laughs> and I gotta agree, he is a great guest star right there. All right. Well, speaking of guest, why don't we go into the real world and start talking about best podcast guest? Yeah, we do this every retrospective where we nominate like our favorite guest on the podcast, which is like, that's totally just like a made up honor. They're all equal. Like all of the guests, we humble ourselves to you. Thank you for taking that time to watch. You know, it doesn't sound like a lot of time, 40 minutes, but I know, man, like I just watching an episode of TV of a show that I know nothing about, you know, even if it's been recommended highly, maybe it hasn't. Maybe I just literally know nothing about the show. Thanks for doing that for us and and watching it and then actually giving such great feedback, really trying to connect to the episode and, and tell us your thoughts. Really, it all goes out to you. Uh, I always feel weird nominating one favorite guest. And when I pick a favorite guest, it's usually just like, oh, this person was really funny or really fun. Um, you know, we have, they're all so good. So it's hard to rank one above the other. I'm going to do a cop-out answer and nominate my birthday party. That was the guest <laughs> on uh, Fish Story. Uh, my birthday party, I asked them, hey, would you want to be help me out with the podcast? Because I don't have a guest this week. We're going to watch an episode of Northern Exposure. Most of the people at the party had seen Northern Exposure before, but some people hadn't. So um, yeah, it was a, a great honor. Thank you so much. Uh, all of the people at my birthday party who participated. <laughs> yeah, we pre-qualify this every single season, but it's true every single time how every single one of the podcast guests, we love them so much for coming on. And, you know, it it, it is frightening. Like, it's not frightening for me and Lee to do this because, I mean, we, I mean, what is this, the 100th episode? We this is, a lot. You know, honestly, it's kind of, it's hard to gauge because we have some, like, uh, intermediate episodes. I think this episode is technically the 100th like track that we've uploaded to this RSS feed. So this is our 100th. It's not really our 100th episode, but it's like our 100th production. There's technically one thing I did a back in like season one or season two, I uploaded like a 20 second clip where I was like, Hey, don't worry. We're just taking one week off. We'll be back next week. And then I've, I've since I've made that private. So it doesn't appear anymore. Yeah. I think that was before we had a Twitter yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> I true. I think that's why we had to do that. Um, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, yeah, like I was saying, that like we do this a lot. They're like, we're not afraid to share our thoughts. But I understand completely for other individuals that don't record a podcast or perform. They're like, this is something that's nerve wracking, and that you might be a little bit afraid of sharing your thoughts. So it is, it is something to commemorate for people that say, like, you know what? I'll take it. I'll, I'll share what I think about the episode, and I'll, and I'll really just dive into it. Um, this season, we had some great guests. We had Michael Samuel, author mm-hmm. of Northern Exposure, Cultural History, yes. and Gordon, Animal Coordinator, yes. both Lizzie and Sam from Subtextual, Lee's birthday party, like you just mentioned, <laughs> old friends like Cy and Kyle that we've been trying to get on for like five seasons, and then they finally, maybe they were like, oh, Lee and Charles aren't goofing around. This is like an actual podcast. We should, uh, <laughs> we should appear on there. Um, we've had them and, uh, you know, so much more, but... I think that if I had to choose one, I'd have to give it to Wilson from the writing club. Um, Wilson is somebody that I know that's helped me a lot on the writing projects that I do. And I felt that his was concise yet elaborate, insightful yet personal. Wilson Mm -hmm. interweaved a lot of his background and profession into his commentary. He just punctuates it about 
you know, him being a nurse and how the medical nature in First Snow really spoke to him. And he talked about Freakonomics Radio. He talked about being immortal. <laughs> he talked about Heart of Dixie. He just had a lot <laughs> to offer. So I got to give it to Wilson. Man, that was a really good one. You know, uh, you know, I, I did a, I did this thing last season and I did it again this season where I cut together like a montage of each guest of the podcast and it was in order of the episode. So if you listen, you can kind of hear them talk about moments in the episode. You can kind of piece together the season in your head, but it's interesting because it's from the perspective of these guests, these people who presumably have only seen like this one episode of Northern Exposure. Uh, so that's pretty fun. And yeah, Wilson's was great to listen back through. There are some really funny ones that, uh, the ones that come to mind right now are the ones that we like, some of the ones that we, like, it wasn't like a, a pre-recorded thing. We had a conversation, but it was like, mm -hmm. for these ones that are coming to mind, um, honorable mentions, it was like hard for me to pick which clip to use. There are multiple really good ones. And that was MJ from um, Heal Thyself. I just remember laughing at a lot of like listening back. It was a really funny conversation. And uh, Aaron from Hello, I Love You. That was another really fun sort of live conversation that we did um, with a lot of great little nuggets in there. But yeah, I think those are some great choices. Wilson, uh, birthday party. There's just so many great guests uh, on this season. And of course, uh, got to plug ourselves a little bit right here. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, we wanted to talk about our favorite Patreon episodes. For those mm -hmm. of you who might not know, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Northern Overexposure Podcast. And I know, I know, I know everyone has a Patreon. <laughs> We really appreciate everyone that's already subscribed to it and that supports us. Uh, it costs like a little bit of money for us to put together everything, like in terms of server cost of where mm -hmm. we host the podcast episodes. I mean, honestly, that's mostly where our money goes to is just making yeah. sure that we come out neutral. We're not trying to come out <laughs> ahead. We're just trying to go out like we're, 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 we're like carbon neutral. We're like cost neutral. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> in we terms don't, of making um, this. We don't spend any money to make. We don't have to spend money to make the podcast. It's the time, you know, that's, I guess time is money now, I guess we could say, but you know, we're, we're not losing money making this podcast, which is awesome yeah. because we have the support, uh, of, of all the, all our patrons online and, you know, having that support also like affords us more time. We were hoping to do more of these and we do have, I think we've teased it on the podcast already, but we do have ideas for more, um, video essays. Like we have a, I think the next one, I'm really excited for that idea, but you know, we, we still have to dive in and, and get that going. Um, but yeah, so our, our Patreon, since, uh, we talked about it last year, I guess on the last retrospective, we've done some fun stuff. Like for instance, the video essay, we've started doing like movie watch along commentaries. We did that with Citizen Kane because Charles hadn't seen it before. And we did it with, uh, the movie Cliffhanger starring Janine Turner because uh, one of our guests who who watched Northern Exposure was remarking that, oh, this Janine Turner, I remember her from Cliffhanger, this movie I watched as a kid, and how that movie scarred me as a child. <laughs> so we got to watch that as sort of a watch-along commentary. And um, yeah, surprisingly, we got some comments uh, on Patreon. I was kind of worried that this, you know, I don't know if this content uh, would be enjoyable or not. By the way, if you are a patron please, at any point, let us know if you have any recommendations for what you'd like to hear. We have a lot of ideas for what we're going to do in the future, but we want to tailor it to uh, the patrons because you're, you know, giving us money each month. You're like supporting us. So whatever you'd like to hear, please let us know. 
Well, you brought it up already, Lee, about the video essay thing. And I think I like I know what I want to talk about on the next one, which is a precursor from one of our uh, Patreon episodes that I would have to say is my favorite one. It is the influences of Northern Exposure. Mm. This episode, me and Lee, we really didn't even have a well thought out blueprint of what the episode was going to be. We were just like, let's just talk about what we think Northern Exposure means to us. Like, why, why, why is like... What feelings are elicited whenever we watch it? What are some favorite little things about it? And it really became a pretty long episode Mm -hmm. where we just talked about the power of media and how it influences us. And I talked about this this idea that I obsess over uh, that it doesn't have to be cynical whenever you watch these pieces of media. You can use the power of these fictional worlds to help guide you in the real world. That's like the most powerful idea to me that like there isn't a wasted time in watching these television shows, whatever you watch. It doesn't matter. I know from the people that write in and the people that listen to us that Northern Exposure means a lot to them. I mean, it must mean a lot to listen to me and Lee rabble on. (laughs) They must truly love the show. And I think that's very special. And I don't think that we should discount that feeling. I think that it's important that we acknowledge that. And say like, well, how can this help me in my real life? And I'm not talking about like the lessons that you learn from Northern Exposure, which there definitely are. I'm just saying that like that positive feeling, that wondrous thing can actually help you step outside and really just forge connections with other individuals and also with yourself. The media that we consume has a way of locating what we really enjoy and in that case it really helps us understand ourselves a little bit better yeah that was a really fun episode that kind of just materialized pretty quickly and thanks again too because we we reached out to uh our you know followers on twitter i think on facebook and asked about you know the influence that the show has had on them and we even got a really great email this all kind of like everything kind of fit together for that episode of the patreon because we got that email from sam who uh talks about you know moving to slovenia uh wrote, writing a blog post about that and the effect of the show that that it had on him and we actually um got i can't remember if it was like a quote tweet or a retweet from Rob Morrow. I thought that was so cool that uh, we, you know, the podcast has connected to Rob Morrow in some way on Twitter. Very, uh, very crazy that that happened. Um, but yeah, that was that was a great episode of Patreon. I'm going to stump uh, for my favorite episode of the Patreon of this season is our most recent one. This month, we produced a Dungeons and Dragons episode which I thought was hilarious because we were just posting about this on Twitter and one of our followers, you know, we posted, Hey, join, join us as we uh, enter the realm of Dungeons and Dragons in like the Northern exposure universe. And someone responded with a gif of, uh, I guess, Charlie day from, uh, I don't think it's from always sunny. It must be from like one of the movies he's in, but it's just a gif of that one horrible bosses or something. Fist fight. Oh, fist fight, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. It's a gif of Charlie Day saying, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> it's like Northern Exposure plus Dungeons and Dragons. Well, turns out uh, I'm a huge nerd and I play Dungeons and Dragons. And Charles, we've played Dungeons and Dragons before. And a lot of our guests on this podcast played Dungeons and Dragons with me. They joined us for an adventure 
in in Sicily, Alaska, sort of fantasy, high adventure, but with the characters, you know, we had Joel Fleischman, Maggie O'Connell, Chris Stevens, and Egg Chigliak. Um, and it actually, what surprised me the most is, I mean, it was a fun and interesting game of Dungeons and Dragons, but it turned out to be not too far off from like an actual episode of Northern Exposure where the characters, you know, the, the, the people playing these characters were guests on the podcast. So they had watched Northern Exposure before, but they probably only seemed like one episode. So I was surprised that they embodied the characters quite well. It, it worked out pretty well and it felt like it could have been an actual I mean, obviously not an actual because like we're casting spells and fighting with swords and arrows and stuff, but the characterizations, <laughs> particularly Charles, that you brought to Maggie O'Connell, because you played Maggie, my friend Beal played Joel. There were some great characterizations there um, between those two characters that we played out. And uh, yeah, there's like a little trailer that we uploaded to the YouTube channel. You can watch that and kind of see what that's like. Uh, but there's a whole like two hour Dungeons and Dragons game. Uh, set in the uh, in the setting of Northern Exposure. Thought that was pretty crazy. That is a fantastic Patreon episode. So if you want to check it out, just subscribe to the Patreon right there. Okay, so we have something actually really exciting that we've been holding back on and not revealing it at the top of the episode. But we have a very special interview with episode director Michael Lang. We've talked about it before, about like who is directing which episode at top of every podcast. But Michael Lang is a director for A Caddish for Uncle Manny, A Cup of Joe, A Bolt from the Blue, and Grand Prix. Now, he has one more in the future, but we just haven't gotten there yet. Mm -hmm. But we reached out to Michael Lang. He had enjoyed what we were putting out on the podcast. And somehow, by a miracle, he actually <laughs> enjoyed us. And he was saying like, yeah, I'd love to come on and talk to you guys. And we had like an hour-long chat with him about all sorts of things, about like where he thinks the future of directing for television shows are going, and also what it was like back in the past directing television shows. He's got some very fun stories of John Corbett behind the scenes, along with other actors. Uh, it's such a pleasant conversation. Um, Lee, do you have anything else to add before we roll the tape? Yeah, I just want to echo what you're saying. He was a very pleasant person to talk to, very generous, very interesting, very funny. And, uh, you know, we talk about a lot of things just in the aspect of like directing TV, but we do get to some very specific things about, well, Cottage for Uncle Manny, that episode, and uh, very specific anecdotes being on the set, which I thought was so fun and interesting. So, uh, yeah, let's just uh, let's listen back to this interview. All right, Charles, we're very privileged today to be joined by director and producer Michael Lang. We know him because he's directed five episodes of Northern Exposure in season four, Cottage for Uncle Manny, fan favorite episode. In season five, three episodes, A Cup of Joe, A Bolt from the Blue, Grand Prix, which we've been talking about this season. And then later, Charles, in season six, he's going to come back and direct The Mommy's Curse. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> you can hear him. He's in the call already uh, reacting to those uh, those titles, maybe remembering them as we're recounting them. But uh, it's been, yeah, I guess it's been quite some time. Uh, before we uh, before, before I get talking to you, Michael, I just wanted to also mention you, you've directed very many uh, episodes of TV, some feature films. You've, you've got a lot of credits under your belt. I just wanted to list off The X-Files, which I'm a huge fan of, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, another big fan, Dawson's Creek, Criminal Minds, Bones. There's This is just like a few. If you look at his IMDb page, 
there's more. And then maybe there's even more that's not on the internet that you're credited for. <laughs> Before we even get talking about Northern Exposure, uh, I know you've also done sort of like a radio show, a podcast of sorts called From the Set with Michael Lang. I was listening to some of that. So I haven't listened to, I really haven't even started to begin to dive in. But I already love, like one thing I was listening about, you're talking about uh, residual checks and <laughs> how they can be so small. But, but what is the, um, my question is, what is like one of the strangest things you've worked on or something that people may not know that you've worked on? Wow. Well, I mean, the first thing that popped into my head was there was a short-lived series that was based on Freddy's, uh, the Freddy movies called Freddy's Nightmares. And I think I did, it was either four or two of those. It was a blur. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was probably the strangest show that I've ever worked on because it was just, you know, it was, well, first of all, the subject matter was bizarre. Right. Um, it was, it was fun, but it was also very a low budget, very low budget show. So the um, time constraints were, were quite, uh, mm crushing i guess you'd say <laughs> and it was i don't know it was kind of a mix i mean i think creatively it was pretty fun but the production side was kind of a mess so mm. ultimately i just i got into a lot of heated discussions with the producers that's been my problem i'm always very nice to the crew but they don't hire me right and then <laughs> i get into discussions with producers when things aren't going the way i think they should yeah I understand, I guess, like low budget, running out of time, running out of money. Yeah. I kind of learned a good, uh, it was not, it was sort of maybe 10 years into my career and I learned a good, a good trick. Up until then, I had always been arguing with producers when they say, we're going to pull the plug, you got to go faster, which normally I'm known as a pretty fast director, mm -hmm. but uh, I would argue with them. And then <laughs> on that show... Um, we were in, it was, we were already on, I think our 14th hour of what was going to end up being an 18 hour day. And we still had a couple of scenes to shoot. And the executive producer of the show came down to the set and he said, you know, this is outrageous. And, you know, I start, I start, I said, well, I don't write it. And, you know, so <laughs> you guys are the ones who write it. So you've written this ridiculous, I agree it's outrageous. And he said, well, <laughs> If we don't finish this, I'm going to pull the plug. And at that moment, I had this something clicked in my head. And I said, hey, you know what? Let's go find the plug together because I'm going to help you pull the plug. <laughs> because I don't, you know, I mean, I don't want to work. This is crazy. Yeah. And he said, well, what, what do you mean? He was completely, he was expecting pushback. Mm -hmm. And when I agreed with him, he was completely, you know, didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So then he said, well, what about the rest of the work? So I said, well, obviously, if we pull the plug, we're not going to get it, but we'll get it some other time, no problem. And he said, well, we, we can't really get it some other time. And I said, hmm, well, maybe we should just work as fast as we can and finish when we finish. Said, That's a good plan. Yeah. <laughs> from that moment on, I never argued with the producer again. I just agreed with them, and they don't know what to do when you agree with them. <laughs> good tactic. Yeah. Yeah. I guess like it's got to get done. Like it's either that or you have to pull the plug. So like exactly. And also, you know, I sort of have my, the the advantage for me, and the maybe the slight disadvantage for someone who hired. Well, it's an advantage, and it is is. Um, 
since I know that I'm very good at my job and I'm, I'm probably maybe sometimes almost too efficient. So my thing is, if I can't get this day, if I can't make this day, then, it, then no one else could make the day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds pretty haughty, but I, it's true. <laughs> you understand like, yeah, what it takes. There might be other directors who could also make the day, but if it, if I can't make it, you That's- know, maybe the most efficient use of the, yeah, you've, yeah. you've understood how to, how to efficiently use the time and exactly. get it shot. And, you know, when, when you can use the movie magic to make things go a little quicker. Right. Actually, it's interesting because on Northern Exposure, they did not like movie magic. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. They were, everything very natural or? They wanted everything very natural. And it, are we, is it okay to start yes, talking please. about? Yes, please. Yeah, please. Because I, in order, you know, sort of, I hadn't seen any of my shows for years. And so I thought, oh, I'll watch Cottage for Uncle Manny. I didn't, I didn't have time to watch the whole thing, but I sort of, you know, um, skimmed through it. And I came to the scene, which was Joel when he was dreaming about the cowboys. Right. That came, the the minion rangers, they call themselves. (laughs) And I remembered I had done this really cool shot. It was a... When he, when he first comes out of the store and he's in the Western outfit mm-hmm. and he so, sort of feels strange. So he looks at himself in the glass. And I went from that with, we use this, um, what the heck it's a filter. It's also in some sunglasses to filter out the sun rays. Or the um, glare. Pol- uh, uh, polarizer. Polarizer. Yeah. Yep. So we used the polarizer and we got this really amazing effect, which, which sort of had him, in the mirror, in the glass, or did it have him on the inside? I might've had him on the ins. I don't know. There was some yeah. shot I did polarizer, which was really cool. Right. And it told the story because I'm sort of not into shots just for the sake of being cool, mm-hmm. but it definitely told the story. And it sort of said that he was in, it let the audience know he was sort of in a dream and, and they didn't use it. They hated it. They mm. barely, the, there's also a rack focus from him to them in the background they barely used that one because they, they didn't like anything too fancy. A little too flashy hmm. maybe, huh? I do yeah. remember though, I think when he exits, I remember that sequence when he exits, it's like his office and he's in Western time. I think yeah. I do remember the window and I remember the camera sort of panning, doing a huge like 360 yes, or did something. Yes, a huge pan because we did his point of view of now it looked like we, you know, we had to dress the Rosalind as a Western town. Mm-hmm. So he enormous pan ending up in a big profile shot of oh right when it finishes it's close yeah it's very close that was pretty cool yeah that's such a cool episode uh well well i wanted to know i want to talk about that episode for sure but so northern exposure you know definitely had a, a huge fan following in the 90s we talk about this on the podcast it's kind of lost to time in a way it's like because it's never been streaming and Kind of hard to get the DVDs and things like that. I know. But at the time, were you a fan of the show before you before you came on to the show? Like, had you seen it? Um, yeah, I, I'm pr- I'm pretty sure I had seen it and I liked it. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people just that was just like talked about, but I don't know. I, yeah, I also it was, like it was it was a huge show at the time, mm-hmm. and it's very you know sad that it's sort of in the dustbin of you know television. We're keeping our fingers crossed for a revival or just like some streaming platform to pick it up. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, well, how did you come to land the job on Northern Exposure? 
Uh, my, I'm sure my, my agent uh, actually got me a job. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, I went in, you know, I'm sure I had to go in and meet with them and, and um, do whatever you do at a meeting. And it worked. <laughs> yeah. And I guess they, I mean, they hired you again, you know, you've, yes. you've, you've yeah. done multiple episodes. Yeah. That's sort of the, the clue or the, yeah, if they hire you back, that means they liked it. Right. <laughs> and then when they stop hiring you back, sometimes that means they didn't like it anymore, or sometimes they just, you know, moved on or whatever. Yeah. But I think I worked all the way to the last season, so. Yeah, that your final episode is in season six, which we've yet to come across. I noticed on Grand Prix, a few of the comments on your, yeah. on the podcast, uh, they didn't like it. Yeah. Have, have you gone back and rewatched that one or? I, I watched a little bit of it, and I I remember that because we had a bunch of disabled people, right? And it was really great to work with them, and they were so appreciative that a show of you know of that popularity was sort of feature them, right? And we kind of were looking into it. We know that you know at least one of those was like an actual athlete, or they're all athletes, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, yeah. The main woman, I can't remember. She was. I think she was blonde, and she, but she had her, her. She only had one leg. All right, you know, in our in our podcast episode, we were wondering because it definitely like in some of the scenes we don't see below her waist, and we're wondering is she an a real athlete or is this someone pretending? But that's no, no, very cool real, that yeah, she was a real athlete and she only had one leg. Or yeah, I think it was. Oh wow! I think from the knee down, she, it was okay. Yeah. Yeah, we're surprised to hear as well that Grand Prix was not well received among the fans. I'm, we're still trying to pinpoint At it ourselves. Couple, like it was like just a couple people on Twitter said that, but yeah. But it also has like uh, just not as many listeners as well. Like there's a lot of uh, correlations that are pointing that Grand Prix is like not up there with like Cottage with Uncle Manny. Right. Cottage with Uncle Manny right. is such a popular episode right there. But yeah. I would also like to say that like we really enjoyed uh, your other episodes that you directed in season five. Both from the Blue mm-hmm. was one that I remember particularly oh. really enjoying. I have to ask you this, Mr. Lang, because this is a shot that me and Lee were questioning on how you achieved it or like just the mechanics or um, the magic behind the curtain of how you achieved it. So Ed and Chris are fishing on this river and it's at nighttime. And once they have their conversation, they decide to walk in the river bank and then Ed gets struck by lightning. And we see it on the screen. We see this lightning come down and hit Ed. And after that happens, there's a shot of him, uh, just his boots are remaining on the ground. And that's a, such a great shot. I really like that. It's a very evocative imagery right here, but I want to ask, how did you get that lightning? Like, how did you achieve that effect? It was uh, now, you know, again, I'm gonna have to deep dig deep into my memory back. So, the lightning bolt itself obviously was a visual effect, mm-hmm. and, and, and of course, in those days, the visual effects you were pretty limited and they were very expensive. Mm-hmm. But this was, you know, obviously a key thing. So, I and I think we also combined some practical effects with smoke at the same time, and so it had to be. Well, actually, they timed the lightning bolt with our smoke effect. Mm. And I, I, I'd have to go look at it again about the boots. Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> obviously, we figured something out. Yeah. If I, <laughs> if I remember correctly, the actor, Darren Burroughs, for Ed, oh, I don't know if it's the actor, maybe a stunt double, but the character gets pulled backwards like yeah, on so a that cable. Was prob- so that was probably a cable. Yeah, that was definitely a, uh, I forget what they call it, a cable. <laughs> 
not just the effect, but the the timing of it, like it, the way yeah. it comes, breaks in the middle of the dialogue. It's it's just perfectly. It, you would not suspect it, even though you know the title is called Bolt from the Blue, and it's storming out, and they're like, "We better get going." It just happens so. I know at the right moment. Fun, that's the one where he, he's he, he's testing out whether he's magnetic, right? Yes, yes. he thinks I he might a super close but super wide lens and he like reaches out to touch the can <laughs> <laughs> those were fun i mean all of them were fun shows to do do you have any uh memories of cast or crew oh yeah well actually there was one there's there's one uh about um uh, with, uh that also took place in cottage for uncle manny mm-hmm. it was with the fight right yes mm-hmm. i heard i listened to a little bit of your podcast on it and so the fight that was so when I was prepping the show, John Corbett came up to me and he was such a puppy dog, excited, you know, very, <laughs> you know, very, always very excited about everything. And by the way, he's completely I mean, I'm sure he's at the time he was he almost he I would say he knew about half of the words that his character said. <laughs> he never knew what he was talking about. He, you know. So, so that is really a testament to his acting because it really seemed like he did, but he didn't. I had to explain a lot of the words to him. Anyway, but um, again, so he's like, comes up to me. He's like, Michael, I got an idea for that last scene when we fight. And he said, I think it would be really cool because it's, you know, if I punch one of the guys and then maybe he punches me back and then, then Bernard can get in and stop us. And I said, well, that's, that's kind of not what the st- the whole point of the whole story is that you don't don't fight. Mm-hmm. So if you do fight, that doesn't really fit with what the script is. He said, "I know, but we'll stop. You know, it'll only be for a second. I'm just gonna like I'll punch him and and he'll punch. And I said, "You know what, John? I mean, I'll think about it, but I really don't think I don't think we're gonna be able to do that because it really it's really not the story. Yeah. It's the opposite of the story. Mm-hmm. So he's like sad. <laughs> so he leaves. <laughs> so then towards the end of prep, I go over to his, you know, I go to him on the set. He's working one day and I said, okay, so John, I thought about the fight thing and I, I, I was lying. I hadn't thought about it. I immediately knew it was not going to happen. So I said, I've been giving it some thought and it just really doesn't work. Chris, uh, John, so he said, all right, he was like a sad little kid. So now we get to the day of the filming of the fight. And this is, it was in Roslyn, which is an hour and a half. It's just away from everyone. And in those days, the producers generally did not come to the set. And I think we had, yeah, there were cell phones then, but Roslyn, you know, the, the, it wasn't very good reception in there. So, so anyway, so now we're out there and he says, all right, Michael, so we're gonna, I'm excited about it. So I'm going to just punch one of the guys, but don't tell them I'm going to do it. So it'll be a surprise. So I said, hey, I'm trying to think, didn't we have a conversation about this exact subject about two weeks ago? He said, yeah. I said, and what did we decide? I thought we decided it doesn't work for the story. And he said, well, but I've been thinking about it, and I, I really think I'm going to do it. So I said, and so you want to actually punch a guy that's not going to know you're going to punch him? And it's not in the script, and that's what you want to do. He said, yeah. And he's like so enthusiastic that it's very hard to say no to him, but obviously. I said, well, first of all, you can't, first of all, it doesn't work for the story. But second of all, even if it did work for the story, which it doesn't, but if it did, 
you can't just punch this guy. <laughs> he's an act, you know, he's, we're not going to do it. And so it's, it's not going to happen. I'm really sorry, John, but we're not going to do it. Well, he says, how are you going to stop me? <laughs> so I said, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, so if we're rolling and I punch the guy, you, you can't really do anything about it, can you? So I said, well, no, I can't really. I mean, if, if you punch the guy in the middle of a rolling, I guess there's nothing I can do about it. But I can tell you this. Let's say you punch the guy in the rolling. Well, we'll cut to the other guy. So I said, well, what? he said, well, what if I jump in front of his, if the camera that you're shooting of the other guy too? And I said, well, then we'll cut to Bernard. And he said, what if I jump in front of Bernard? So I said, well, then will you have Bernard come back on a separate day and we'll do a reaction of him then when you won't even be here? He said, well, what if I show up and I do it anyway? <laughs> so I said, you know what, John, if all of that happened, because there's no way that the scene is not going to be presented on television exactly the way it's written. Whatever you do, it's going to you're not going to punch him in the in the final version. There's going to be no fight. And it's going to be the way it's in the script. And he said, I can, I, you know, he continued. I said, here's the thing. Ultimately, let's say I might just cut to a little bird in that tree up there that you can't jump in front of. <laughs> it might be this little bird looking at, looking down and thinking, oh, isn't it beautiful how these guys aren't fighting? <laughs> so believe it or not, it became part of Northern Exposure lore. And whenever they, a director or one of the producers had a discussion with, you know, one of the actors who didn't want to do something or wanted to do something differently, they would say, I'm going to use the bird theory. <laughs> <laughs> the bird theory. Every time I got came back, they said, oh, we used the bird theory a few times while you were gone. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it's, ultimately, it's like, the, I'm the director, like we've got the control or like even in the editing right. room, it's like, in the, yeah, with editing, you can pretty much do it just like you can. You can cut that whole story out. I'll never be the wise. That's so good. <laughs> That's hilarious to hear about John Corbett just sounding like, yeah. I don't know, such a kid almost too, you know, I'm sure yeah, he was. Like, he, I mean, he was great. He, the mm -hmm. whole cast was really great. Mm -hmm. it, it was such a wonderful show to work on in one of the episodes i can't remember which one i had this um native american guy abaksanakwe something he was a very famous native american uh he was pretty big in like all the tribal stuff and in the moment we couldn't think of what episode this was of course it's grand prix and the character that michael's talking about here is lester haynes played by Apisenequat. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Uh, but yeah, of course you recognize him in a lot of episodes of Northern Exposure, but he's known for many roles in TV and film. I think his most recent credit was 2017 in the film Wind River. Anyway, let's hear what else Michael has to say about this actor. And it was so cool to work with this guy. He was just so like focused and spiritual, everything you'd expect of a Native American, mm -hmm. he was it. He sort of personified, and he was this handsome, striking-looking guy, and it was just so much fun talking with him. We just talked for hours about stuff. Nice. He wasn't a very good actor, but he was a very good guy. <laughs> very interesting person, nonetheless, yeah. Yeah. Well, just talking about Kaddish for Uncle Manny, one thing that we really liked watching the episode and that I've heard from a lot of fans online is the, obviously the final scene. I, I loved the depiction of like, you know, 
Judaism and the Kaddish and like saying that yep. prayer, so cool. But also I think what a lot of people appreciated about that scene is that you can see all the townsfolk in Sicily there responding to Joel, but they each have their own ways of sort of yep. like praying yeah, or joining in. Yep. I thought that was so neat. I know. I, lo- I watched that one too in, in my little review of it. And that was, that's a beautiful scene. Mm-hmm. Actually, Jeff Melvoin did a little documentary on that, on that episode. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, I need to check this out. I'll write that down. Did a thing, taking it from script to finished. And um, I've never gotten to see it, but I should look it up. Yeah. If it's online, I'll try, I'll try to find it and I can send it to you if I do, but it sounds like something that would be right up. Our alley and our listeners' yeah. alley. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the other interesting thing is, I have a, at the time, I'm not, we've sort of lost touch, but I was very friendly with this very religious, like modern Orthodox Jewish guy. And he, he hated the episode mm. because he said the, the whole point, he said at the end, when Joel says, I realized when I thought about it, I realized that these nine other guys are just strangers to me. Right. So why would I? want to have a prayer with strangers when you were really my family and my community in Sicily. And that is the antithesis of what a minion is about. Because, you know, the whole purpose of a minion is that wherever you go in the world, you're brothers with mm-hmm. fellow Jews. And so by him saying that, it completely defeated the whole point of the minion. <laughs> so there was this big outrage among all my the Orthodox. Yeah. I didn't have that many religious Jewish friends, but boy, the ones that were, yikes. We're not fans. I can <laughs> see. They will say, hey, I didn't write it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. But it's still such a sweet episode, though. I yeah. know that y'all talked about the final ending as being your favorite scenes to see, but I think for me, uh, I would say like my favorite scene in that is when the townsfolk are together in Maurice's home and Maurice is trying to educate them in his own way about what he thinks uh, Judaism is. And they're all like right. looking through pamphlets and they're all trying to like check their notes and be like, oh, OK, so it's like this. It's like, yeah, it's, uh, that's how they celebrate. And they're like, wow, that's fascinating. And they all just go through it. And they're, no one is like judgmental. Everyone's trying to like understand through their own avenue of life to, to see through the lens of Judaism and try to understand Joel and try to come together on that. And I thought it was like, yeah, it's such a sweet scene. And. I, I'm wondering on like that particular, on those things where you have like so many actors that are being packed into a scene right there, how long do those shoots last? Because I'm wondering if like somebody just says like a line wrong, like do you just have to yes. restart the whole sequence again? Like, is it just like a Jenga tower of pieces that you're just trying to make sure the tower doesn't fall down? Exactly. Now that, that show actually, by you know, it was pretty, it was a pretty successful, very successful show. So the, you know, by the time I came into it, it, you know, the budget was pretty good. So you didn't have, they weren't the crazy short days. You could, you could shoot until you got it right. And they were, the producers were very, very supportive of that. I mean, you you know, you didn't want to go crazy, but, Mm -hmm. but if you went a couple of hours over like a a day like that, I'm sure ended up being a 14 hour day because, you know, you have to cover everyone and, and and you're exactly right. If someone screws up, it's not if, when they screw up their lines, then you have to go back and do another one. Right. So, yeah, those scenes with a lot of people always take a lot of time. Okay. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I wanted to ask one more question on this. Now that we're on a, a similar topic of this, you talked about how producers were friendlier toward then. 
Is there like a different mentality from when you started in 1985, you were working on Hunter, all the way till now, you're still working today, you were working on the television show Eddie's. So you have a 37 years of working in the business. Is there like a different temperament or different environment now in how producers work, how the just a social uh, environment of the entire industry. Has there been like a seismic change that you can feel? Or do you feel like it's been pretty much the same? Like you just got to be friendly, you got to be kind, you just got to get stuff done. There's a seismic change. And it started in the, what happened was when I first started, which I started sort of at the tail end of what I'm about to talk about. So when I first started, the best example I can think of is on a location scout, which is when you go look at, obviously locations. Mm-hmm. So on the location scout, there were heroes would be who was in the van with you. It would be the driver, obviously, the director, the assistant director, and the location manager. That's it. Now it's the driver, the director, the assistant director, the production manager, one or two writers, the location manager, and a number of other miscellaneous people. So What's happened gradually is the role of the director has become like when I first started, there was never a writer on the set. If there was a problem with the script, uh, you would call and they would or you would or the director would make a decision, you know, Mm -hmm. and the director was very responsible for making sure that that you wrapped on time. Generally, the days were 12 hours. Well, plus and less. So 12 and a half elapsed hours. And that was it. Um, you had to do it within that amount of time. Otherwise, they were not going to call you back. Uh, now, you could, if your show turned out great and you went over a little bit, then you would get called back, which is kind of where that's where I lived. You know, <laughs> yeah, I would occasionally go over, but the shows always turned out great and everyone liked me. So, you know, that was that. So, and, but like I said, there was never a writer on the set. And basically, your goal was to say all the words that were written. The actors had to hit their marks and say their lines and have plenty of coverage and then move on to the next scene. Towards the late 80s, early 90s, the writers started, they negotiated producing credits because Mm -hmm. according to the Directors Guild, a writer cannot give a director any notes, not allowed. Um, So what they did to get around that is they got producing credits. That's why you see so many producers on the shows now. They're not really producers in the traditional sense. They have the credits so that they can go and tell the director something. Mm -hmm. So gradually, starting in the late 80s, early 90s, there would be a writer on the set occasionally. And then, like if you were on a location show, there would not be a writer on the set, but then that changed too. And then they would fly the writers to the locations, like on Dawson's. Hmm. When I first started, they, they wouldn't, but then gradually they would fly the writers to Wilmington and uh, they'd be on the set. So then the writers started weighing in on performances, sometimes even staging, hmm. not often staging, but performances for sure. Or And like if a director wanted to, because the director was still responsible for the schedule. So the writer would not get in trouble if the director went over an hour because the writer wanted three extra takes of something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always thought it's not, as a director, to me, my responsibility is not to 
blame anyone. It's my responsibility to convince the writer in some way that I can't do another take and here's why. Mm-hmm. And if I can't do that, then it's my fault that I went over, not their fault. Anyway, so just to shorten, uh, so gradually it, it ended up where the writers had much more say on what went on on the set, writer-producers, to the point where the last show I did, well, Eddie's was a little different because I was an exec producer on that as well. And the right, the guy who, who wrote it, it was, you know, we collaborated a lot in the beginning, but then once we got to the set, the pressure, because I shot it in two days mm. and the pressure was so huge on him, really. I was like, I can do this, no problem. But he was like, you know, yeah. and he didn't say anything for two days, except this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but short of that, like the last show I did that wasn't Eddie's was uh, the new version of Charmed. And the writers were all over me the whole time. Mm. So I think it has two effects. Um, for a newer director, I think that's the, you know, like that's the way they know they don't know that it was ever any other way. But for me, coming from I was completely the king on the set, and no one ever questioned anything that I said, or you know, if I said we're moving on, we'd move on to now where you know you have. I mean, I think a lot of the directors now will turn around and make sure that the writer is or producer writer is okay with the take before they move on, which I still haven't gotten used to that. But mm. so I, but I think ultimately though, if you look at TV then and look at TV now, in general, the quality of the writing and obviously the production is much higher than it was when I first started. Mm-hmm. However, those shows are pretty fun to revisit. I must say. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is my, in, in back then, it was like, you know, on the show, you know, the one hour shows, if you missed a couple of weeks, it was fine because nothing really happens over the episode. You know, it's like, yeah, each episode, if it's a crime show, they a crime happens, they have the, they solve the crime within the show and they move on. Yeah, it's pretty so, contained you know, per episode. It's funny, I, I did on my um podcast, I, I'm never sure what to call my show, but my <laughs> podcast, let's say. Uh, I did an episode where we watched an episode of Hunter that I had directed. Uh-huh. And I at one point I realized that this one episode of Hunter in today's world would be a six hour miniseries. <laughs> because like in, in Hunter, this was, a, it was about a guy who had murdered someone and he escaped from jail somehow. And they never really went into that in the miniseries. They absolutely would say, Four weeks ago, you know, yeah, and then you'd see how he got out of jail. But yeah. now it's like he's already out of jail. We don't know how he did it, and we don't care. And he's he's determined to kill every juror that found him guilty. So you see the first one get killed, right? Which is very spooky and cool. And then you hear about the other two in the miniseries. Each episode would be about one of them getting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's really the same amount of story, but just compressed into one hour. Yeah, seems like it was all like cut for time for Hunter, but today yeah. you could expand that. Oh to my whole god, season. <laughs> that's funny. You could do ten hours on that one script. <laughs> You'd have long shots and beautiful rack focuses and all kinds of spooky <laughs> stuff. Great. I think that's such a fascinating answer, Mr. Lang, and I think that it's really interesting to look at it from what you said was like a holistic view where you said that 
you were pretty much in control of the thing. And that's not necessarily like a pro or a con. Like there's benefits to both sides. Like right. if you need to get things done and also if like you really want to have like a distinct flavor that the director is bringing on set, then you want it to be like the like in the style of the 80s in which you were managing everything down from the, the top to the bottom. Whereas now it almost seems like I don't want to misdescribe it, but it seems like it's kind of like a compromise of sorts where like yeah. the director obviously still has a lot of say, but you're saying that like the writers and the producers are also chiming in. Everyone's kind of like, kind of like getting into the pie itself. They're all trying to have their own influence right. into like yes. making sure that this thing is working right there. And again, I don't want to say that whether that's a positive or a negative. I think that I can see benefits to both sides, but I think it's, I think that it, like it could have went the other way in my opinion, but it's fascinating that it went this way, that it yeah. went from one person's view to a fragmented view right there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, on feature films, it's still the director is God. Mm -hmm. So, and you know, features are pretty good, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. but I do think, like I said, I think if you just look at it without knowing how it's done, I think you could, you, it's pretty safe to say that the overall quality of everything in television today is better than it was then. Even though obviously there's people of my age who say, Oh, the old D yeah. old day. <laughs> it's bullshit. It was not better. And I did a lot of it. Yeah. It was not better today. Everything is better. Performances. <laughs> I mean, I, I marvel at some of the acting I see on TV shows today. It's like, yeah. Oh, these great actors. Yeah, it's yeah. like that prestige television, or you yeah. know what they call it. Um, but I don't know. I'm still here, 30, you know, 30 years later, marveling at Northern Exposure. There's some moments well, yeah. that you don't see today. Yes, that's that. Now, the nice thing about Northern, well, among many, I mean, it, I think that was a unique show in that time period. Mm -hmm. um, it was really sort of the an early uh, example of of the new style of TV. Like you mm -hmm. could have that show today and it would feel satisfying because yeah. like they let the moments happen, which was really nice too. Right. Actually, I have a, kind of another funny story about uncle man. So I was, you know, I'm in the director's guild mm -hmm. and I felt no, in all my years of directing, I think I've only put, I think I'm only nominated. Basically the way you get a director's guild award is you first nominate yourself, which is, I think, what the other unions do as well. Okay. And then you, so you get this list of like 400 show, everyone nominates themselves. Yeah, yeah. And then that's called down to like 20 and then it's called down to 10 or whatever, and then called down to five. And then ultimately those five are looked at by judges. So that was one of the shows. I think I've nominated that and maybe one or two other shows in my whole career. I've done 264 hours and I only thought three were, were worthy of an award, which is not typical, I think. Yeah, <laughs> most people might. <laughs> um, anyway, so I, I put myself in the big list, and sure enough, it ended up getting in the five. Wow. But they, they but first they wanted to, but I, I put it in the comedy category. So I get a call from the Directors Guild saying, it can't be in the comedy category because it's a one-hour show. Hmm. Only three minute shows can go in the comedy category. So I called the executive director of the Directors Guild, who I knew from various business stuff, and I said, hey, Warren, so they they don't want to let me put this in the comedy category, but I feel it is in the comedy category. So I think it's a comedy. So 
I'm going to send you a, they had these things back then called VHS. Was, <laughs> <laughs> was it, that's it. Yes, something like that. Anyway, so I say, I'm going to send you a copy of it and you watch it. And if you can tell, if you tell, if you tell me you don't think it's a comedy, I'll shut the hell up. And he said, okay, deal. A few days later, he calls him back and says, okay, you're in the comedy section in the comedy division nice. that was the first one hour show that was ever nominated as a comedy nice and now they've it happens a lot that's oh, pretty wow. cool can i ask uh what were the other two episodes that you nominated one there was an episode of life goes on mm-hmm. um which i don't know if you know that show um, but I, i'm a little familiar yeah it's a wonderful show and that, that it was about it had to do with um a one of the characters got AIDS. Okay. And how he dealt with that. And uh, it was a very it was a killer. It actually ended up getting a Humanitas award, hmm. which in many ways is more impressive than a DGA award. Yeah. Because, <laughs> um so I was real happy with that. And then what was the other one I put in? Probably some that's just my agent said, just put it in. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, I know. I did an ep- five episodes of Tracy Takes On. Okay. With Tracy Ullman, and I put one oh, of those. Oh. Very but neither cool. of those two were nominated. Uh, I have sort of like kind of a, maybe a boring question, but it, it ties into like the production side of uh, of TV, but specifically Northern Exposure, but you could you could put this to any TV show, maybe in that time frame, in that era. What was the schedule like? Like, how, how long do you have to shoot an episode? Okay, so when I first started, the shows were all seven days. And they're seven, yeah. 12-hour days, period. Wow. And then gradually, shows started becoming like eight days. And now, are these in, like, in order? Or do you take breaks sometimes? Or No, they're, well, Monday through Friday. Monday through Friday, okay. Right. And then, you know, you get the weekend off. Some shows, depending if they're shooting like at a, like a school, if they have a lot of work at, a, at an mm. actual school and they have to shoot the school on a weekend, then they adjust the work week to like maybe it would be Tuesday through Saturday. But it's five-day weeks generally. Now, Freddy's Nightmares was a six-day episode, six <laughs> days, which that's why it was ridiculous. Generally, they were seven. Then it became eight. And they stayed eight for a long time. And then I, so I, I did, uh, had done a couple of episodes of the X-Files, mm-hmm. which actually that started at seven, even when all the other shows were eight. Okay. But so I did three episodes and then I had a season when I wasn't available. And then the next season, which was season four, by now the show was a huge hit. So I come back to do an episode of that and it was a pretty big episode. So I'm in, you know, I'm on day one of prep. And my assistant director comes in and he has the schedule and it's 11 days. So I said, well, obviously we have to fix that, right? And he said, oh, no, not anymore. Now you can have as many days as you need. <laughs> nice. Okay. I That's could amazing. Deal with that. That's good to see. And, and there are some shows now that like, you know, I think um, famously um, Game of Thrones was like, they'd have 20, 21 days, 22 yeah. days. Everything I think is hovering mainly, especially the network shows. They're probably all around eight, maybe nine days. Do you remember Northern Exposure? Is it seven or eight? That was eight. Eight. That was eight. That makes sense because you you said it already, but it's like they take their time with it. Lots of pauses sometimes. You can feel that in the edit. 
And that was production wise, you know, because they were they shot out in um you know, for Sicily, it was this town called Rosalind, mm-hmm. which I think I said before was about an hour and a half east of uh, where was they was shot in near Seattle. Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when we would go out there, obviously that was adding like three hours to the day just for traveling. Right. Mm. And then often it would snow and. Yeah, I was gonna ask that actually when you're bringing that up. So. So we're what seasons? I'm trying to remember like when those episodes aired, when you might have been shooting. But were you ever shooting? Oh, yeah. I guess during the snow, <laughs> during all that. Oh yeah, there was there was one day I vividly remember. I mean, the snow was up where we were shooting in this field, and the snow was literally halfway up my calf. <laughs> Started <laughs> yeah. climbing. You know, we dragged the equipment in there, and then of course. After you do one take, it's all messed up. So then they have to go back and make it all look nice and pretty again. Wow. So (laughs) it's difficult shooting in the snow. What was your biggest challenges working uh, in Northern Exposure? Environment? Producers? Yeah, I would say environment. Well, also Janine, you know, Janine Turner was her own separate little world of... Yeah, she was kind of becoming a star too. Yeah, she was becoming a star. I mean, I thought she was great in the show. And I got along with her great, but she, you know, she was a little difficult sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actors like, like I, said, I, never, I never really had an issue with with any of the actors. So yeah. actually, though, no, that's there was one one episode. I don't think it wasn't Manny. It might have been Manny. I think it was Cottage because that was my first one. And I was doing a scene in in Joel's office, and uh, you know, he was Rob Marr was kind of a tester. So actually, there were two scenes in there that so the scene in his office, and and uh, we rehearsed the scene. It was with um, what's her name at his the Marilyn the um, like the secretary woman. Yeah, Elaine. Marilyn, right? Elaine. Elaine Miles. Yes. Yes. So it was with her, and so he he has to walk up from his office to the desk, and they have a little conversation. So we rehearse and mark. You know, we put the marks where they're going to stand and. And so then once he leaves, a few minutes later, the cameraman says, oh, do you think we could move his mark a little bit because it'll make a nicer shot? It'll compose better. So I said, sure. I mean, it was literally two inches. So, I mean, and I have been doing that, for, you know. So now he comes into the set and he uh, he looks, he, you know, we start rehearsing, but he stops. And he says, did someone move my mark? So I say, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, Rob, um, we had to move it because it made the shot compose better. So he says to me, <laughs> he says, don't you think it would be as a courtesy if you're going to change an actor's mark that you would come and talk to the actor first and see if it was okay? And I went, yes, I normally would if it was a significant change, obviously, but this was two inches. It just makes the shot a little prettier. So he says, I'm not sure I can make it work. Wow. <laughs> so I said, really? And he said, yeah. So I said, well, so what are we going to do? He said, well, because it's your first show, I'm going to give you a little break and I'm going to see if I can make it work, but no guarantees. <laughs> wow. So, okay. And I'm thinking, what an <laughs> So, so he, he, he goes back to his start, Mark. He walks up to the new Mark and he thinks of, pretends to think about it. Then he goes back to his start mark and he walks up to the old mark, which it was literally two inches. Yeah. And he pretends to think about it and he says, No, I don't think I can make it work. 
So at that point, I'm pretty persuasive, but I thought, you know, fine. And I said, fine, we'll just go back. And I hated him from that moment on until 20 years later, <laughs> maybe more than 20, wait, 19, more than 20 years, 25 years later, I'm at a DGA dinner of some sort for episodic directors and he's at my table huh. and I'm thinking, oh boy. So he comes, no, he's not at my table. Wait, is he? He was at my table. <laughs> he, he moves over next to me and he says, I owe you an apology. I said, not really. He said, no, no. I owe you. Now, because now that I've done some directing, I realize how hard directing is, how much pressure you are under and I was such a jerk to you that day in my office, your first day with me, and I really, I apologize. <laughs> See, I was going to ask, was he just pulling your chain? But I don't know. Maybe oh. he was really in it. He was like, he wanted, he did not want to change his mark. No, I think he he was a tester. Yeah. Because then in a later scene, there's a scene in the in the in the uh, bar, the brick where he's he's at the bar, and I shot. They're called reverse overs. So yeah. like if we have a scene at a bar so if the bar is like in front of me the camera would be you know like here mm -hmm. but sometimes a scene it's nice if you want to give a little bit of sort of it's a subconscious effect where it gives a little bit of, of tension to the scene because it's not what the audience is used to seeing how today they're used to it a little more but people almost never did reverse overs then so you shoot from back here mm -hmm. so you're getting more of a profile on each character so it's a little not quite as comfortable to the so yeah. I shot reverse over. So we did the reverse overs at the bar. And then he says to me, So are we gonna shoot proper overs now? <laughs> so wants you to get it the normal way. So I said, No, we're not. We're moving on. Okay. That's what I want. We'll be back tomorrow. Of course they love them, so that's <laughs> cool though that you talk about that, because that is like uh I, I just want if listeners are unfamiliar, that is like the choice of the director to decide. Obviously, you you might have to cover a scene from many angles just to make the edit right. work, but the director gets to choose what the angles will be too. And like, you don't have to shoot it normal. You can shoot it reverse over. And that's exactly. the only thing that you send to the editor. So they have to use it, you know? <laughs> exactly. Um, let's see. Charles, do you have any, I'm kind of... No, not really. I, I think that all of the answers that you've given, Mr. Lang, have been really fascinating. I think that, like, you're giving a lot of insight that I don't think that a lot of... Like, if we interviewed somebody that was, uh, like, around our age, I guess, like, just, like, our generation, they would not have this particular viewpoint, this vantage in which you are looking over the entire industry right here. And I find this really... Uh, not just fascinating, but it's like an encapsulation of the time of like, just like how Northern Exposure is an encapsulation of the early 90s, that optimism in which you felt. Um, it's kind of like, it's reflecting onto the directors that worked on it as well. Yeah. So like when you worked on it and like, I'm assuming these were your formative years as a director before you like, you really started getting into it and you started piling into the numbers right there. These were all like experiences in which like you're, cutting your teeth on and then right. you bringing it over into what you're seeing, what you're working on now, right here. And I, I think that like, I mean, it's kind of a morose thought, but like maybe it's going to become like a lost art of some sort or like 
not necessarily like maybe like only you can do this, but like more of the idea that like people from your generation can only bring this type of perspective onto the onto the set. And now we're losing it because you're saying that like earlier, you're saying like, I'm a person that can really barter between people and maintain egos. I can negotiate. I can compromise because I have to work between so many different people right here. Right. Whereas now, like maybe that's not the thing how it works anymore. Like I, I, I don't work in the industry, but I can imagine that like the environment has changed a whole lot from there. So, you know, it, it's just overall just very lovely talking to you and hearing all of your thoughts about this. Oh, it's great. Yeah, I enjoy, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. It doesn't make me feel too old. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's great. Uh, hey, is there anything that you're working on now you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, actually, yeah. I'm. I'm. Uh, this is another good sort of example of of uh, persistence mm-hmm. is the key to success in pr- pretty much life in general, but especially this business. Um, so I've had this project that I've been working on for I think I think it's either somewhere around twenty years. Mm. It's a, a series that's based. It's based on a series of books. Uh, called Dead End Dating, and it's about a vampire woman. She's in her mid twenties, except she's six hundred and she's she's really six hundred years old, and but she looks in her twenties because mm-hmm. vampire, you know, they don't really age. <laughs> and uh, so basically, she doesn't want to go into the family business, and she starts a dating service for vampires, werewolves, and others. Love it. It's sort of a it's a one hour show. It's a kind of a romantic comedy, but there's vampires, there's death, there's blood, there's a serial killer. There's elements of, you know, horrible vampire stuff, too. So it's kind of this mix up of genres, which I really like. And finally, after 20 years, we're associated now with a company called Big Screen Entertainment Group, and they are so excited about it that it's fun. And they're, they've hired someone to write a pilot. So I'm waiting for the pilot. And then they have uh, deals, you know, output deals with a couple of different uh, streaming services. So it may actually happen. Very nice. Yeah. Nice. We're going to keep in touch and see. Uh, I'd love to, I'd love to eventually see that on a screen somewhere, you know, streaming. Too. Somewhere. <laughs> and, you know, we'll probably be touching base with you again, uh, in season six, when we come across the mommy's curse and maybe get some, uh, some thoughts from you then, but, um, thank you so much for reaching out to us too on Twitter and connecting. And it's really been delightful talking to you and kind of like starstruck a bit (laughs) talking with someone who has worked on this show. Cause we've been, Charles, it's been years that we've been talking. We've been doing this for years, this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. We've, uh, geez, five, four, I don't know. No, it can't be five. Okay, yeah, you're right. That would be scary. (laughs) (laughs) But we've talked to like some uh, other people that have worked on a show. Um, The Animal Handler, uh, we Mm -hmm. had talked with her before and she was lovely. And she had all sorts of insights to share. We all talked to people that were guest starring in the episode um, that had like bit parts, but they had stories to share and they had their own unique perspective. So like everything was like wonderful to hear from them, but like, yeah, to hear from you, Mr. Lang, like, I think that like you have a panopticon view, you have something in which you can see everything, right? like because of the chair that you sit on. So the things that you talk about really are just like, you can only hear from your mouth. (laughs) That's, that's what makes it great. Right. Well, it was, it was, like I said, it was, it was uh, one of the highlights of my career doing that show. It was just, like I said, it was, it was supportive and 
it was just a great show. Great show to work on. Well, thanks for, thanks for working on it and making those episodes. Well, thank you for doing a podcast about it. <laughs> thanks. Cool. Oh man. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah. Well, let's, let's hopefully talk again soon. Sounds good. That was our interview with Michael Lang. Again, such a pleasure, such an honor speaking with him. Thanks, Michael, for, for joining us and uh, talking with us. And yeah, we're going to have to get you back on in season six for uh, The Mommy's Curse. Hopefully that works out. But speaking of season six, Charles, we're moving on to the final season of Northern Exposure. And at the end of our uh, finale episode, we talked about predictions. You know, what would the next episode be about? The next episode is called Dinner at 7.30. We talked about that already, just a goofy prediction. But season six, we know that Rob Morrow leaves the show. We know that it is uh, historically a not very favorable season for fans of the show. What can we expect? Uh, I'm just apprehensive. Like, you can't throw a rock without hearing that statement to be like, <laughs> Northern Exposure is fantastic, except for like the later seasons. And they're like, okay, well, now I got to build expectations. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I'm wary. I'm afraid. Yeah. I don't want to be that person that has to come in and be like, it wasn't that bad, guys. You guys were overreacting. Like, I don't want to be that person. So I want to come at it with like as fresh eyes as I can with as little bias. Yeah. So really, I don't know, man. I wish that most of the stuff that were, that's being written online is like, it's great most of the time. Like, it's, <laughs> it's still great. But we're not getting that a lot. So hoping to get something out of it. What, what about you? So I think I've said this on the podcast. I'm pretty sure I've only seen season six once, uh, though I do remember. Yeah, I do remember some lots of duds in it, but I do remember there are some very key story moments that are like overall series because I'm sure they like probably knew they were going to get canceled um, or they were in the, you know, halfway through, they might have figured this out might have learned this. So they're trying to wrap certain things up. There are very like key story plot point moments that I think resonate for the series overall. If I remember correctly, maybe I'm completely wrong, but I do remember being like, you know, if I had to go back and watch it, there are specific episodes that I think need to be watched for you to like really absorb the series. So I think we've got some very important things coming up. We might have a lot of duds. I'm a little nervous about. Um, I think there are some good episodes that we'll see, but I think there are some important episodes that sort of like... Uh, complete the story. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe there's a lot of stuff that's left up in the air and maybe the way they complete it is very, um, unsatisfying for fans. So we'll see, but I think it's going to have some, uh, some important implications, I guess. All right. Well, that's what we think about the future of Northern Exposure, but what about the future of Northern Exposure podcast? Yeah. Wait, what are some of our plans? Well, we kind of hinted at this before, um, but I'll just say I'm... <laughs> I'm beginning to run out of friends, Charles. Like I like who else can I ask to join to hop on cuz the I love the premise of this podcast being we introduce the show to someone new, one friend at a time, one like one new person so that hopefully, you know, most people probably aren't going to watch another episode mostly because it's impossible to find like how are we going to do this until it becomes available on some streaming platform? It's really hard to track down, though. I think there are enough people that we've touched that are like, wow, I want to see more of this. And that is a limiting factor. It's sad that they're like unable to continue watching. I'm going to have to loan out my DVDs to a lot of people. 
um, or people are going to have to like hit the libraries. Usually some public libraries will have DVDs. Well, hopefully, fingers crossed. But that is a problem. Um, and I also the thing about season six is I, I, I'm afraid that that's going to be not the best way to introduce this show that I love to a new viewer. Like they may watch this episode and it may be completely removed from like what Northern Exposure is. I think there might be some episodes in season six that are too far away from Northern Exposure as we know it. So I don't think it is ideal for a, 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 a way to introduce someone new to the show. And I talked about this before, maybe season six is for the fans. Like maybe season six, we invite on listeners to the podcast, fans of the show. Obviously we can invite on past guests because they've seen the show already and see what they think. You know, do you remember watching the episode that we showed you back in season two? Like, what do you think now in season six? Like how far has it come? I think that's a lot of fun. And um, honestly, for the reasons I mentioned of it, like maybe it's not the greatest season. I think it's better to listen to the fans rather than ask someone, you know, man on the street, what do you think about this TV show? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I think that we should be involving the listeners, the people that diligently tune in every single week. Because like we always get these brilliant emails from them and we wish they would elaborate more or just like... We wish we could share them with the general public, but we're not entirely too sure on which parts that they want us to share and which parts they want us to like. It was just like a message between, you know, them and us. So, yeah, uh, we're really hoping that for season six, the final season, we can get some of y'all that have been listening in and we can hear your thoughts all about Northern Exposure. And like Lee said, bring in some of the favorite guests that we've had on. I mean, like off the top of my head, like Jay's a fantastic one. We always have like live ones where it's like three parters. Tyler's really fun. Eric and Jeremy from the podcast. What what is their podcast called now? (laughs) Right now it's called little Marty, but it's gone through a a few different iterations. Yeah. They're always great to have on (laughs) and all of the other lovely people. Uh, So like, I think that it could be like a greatest hits tour to see where we can end up with. Yeah, I really do want to open it up to listeners uh, of the podcast. I mean, fans of the show, but like if you listen to the podcast, we, you know, we'd love to hear your thoughts as well. But please don't write in right now to us. We're about to go on a long hiatus before we start season six. And hopefully Charles will be able to really get ahead of it and not lag as much in in season six as we did in season five. Please don't write in to us right now because it'll get, you know, it'll, it'll get lost in the in this hiatus ether in the emails. I'm definitely going to, before we start up season six, you know, we'll put out like a call to action asking if anyone would like to watch an episode in season six and give some commentary. So definitely be watching our Twitter at Northern Over Pod. Uh, you know, we have an email, Northern Overexposure Podcast at gmail.com. So you can always chat with us there. And uh, we're on Facebook too. There's like an at Northern Over Pod on Facebook, though we don't really check that as much. We usually just like to go in and check out the Facebook group Club NX. And there's a couple other uh, really great, you know, fan groups on Facebook that we look at. Uh, Reddit as well. Apparently like r slash Northern Exposure. Every once in a while, there's some pretty cool stuff. I think um, this season we saw some really great uh, photos of uh, Rosalind Washington, on, on the Reddit, which I thought was really cool. There's a lot of, a lot of good stuff on the Reddit as well. Uh, but anyway, I guess, yeah, that's what I've got for season six. The other thing I wrote down is kind of more of a joke. Like maybe we, uh, we change our release schedule from Monday to Wednesday. 
Because in the middle of season six, there was like, a, you know, the show used to, the TV show Northern Exposure would air on Mondays. And then like, I think it was episode 11 of season six, The Great Mushroom was the first one to start airing on Wednesday nights. Some people blame that for the downfall of the show, but I mean, we'll, we'll see. Mm. <laughs> I, I think we should keep it to Monday, Monday release, actually. I don't want to switch it up. Yeah. <laughs> well... Yeah, that's definitely our plans. Um, we are taking a break. It's not going to be like, I mean, you say long, but I'm pretty sure we're coming back at like. I'm not going to, I'm not signing anything. I'm not saying. <laughs> <laughs> Historically, we've come back in uh, the end of October, the beginning of November, but we are finishing quite late this season. So I won't promise yeah, anything. Yeah, might be pushed back. I'd like to get ahead of it. Yeah, so we don't, so we don't. Uh, stall out as much. Uh, oh, sorry. One last thing. By the way, if you are listening and you know uh, David Schwartz, the composer, or if you know any of the actors on the show, anyone who had any, we, we said this last season, but if you know anyone involved in the show in any capacity, we'd love to get them on for more interviews like we did with Michael Lang, like with Ann Gordon, uh, Harvest Moon back in season four was really incredible. Uh, we'd love to do that kind of stuff too. So if you have any leads there, let us know at Northern Overexposure Podcast at gmail.com. All right, Charles, it's been great potting with you here on season five. As I said, we're about to go on hiatus, but the Patreon lives on once every month. We release a bonus episode. We've got some pretty fun stuff in store in the future. So despite us going on hiatus in this main feed, we're going to be producing more content on the Patreon that you can check out there. Uh, once again, thanks for joining us in this season of Northern Exposure. Thanks for listening. Thanks for writing in. Uh, yeah, it's been great. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been a great season, Lee. I won't see you next week. I'll see you next month. And then from there, I'll see you next season. All right, Charles. See you then. Northern Overexposure Podcast is edited by me. Our theme music was remixed by Matt Jackson. Thanks to B-Ball Y'all for the podcast artwork. And thanks to you for listening to season five of the podcast. If you'd like to write in, you can reach us at northernoverexposurepodcast at gmail.com, at northernoverpod on Twitter. And if you like the show, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash northernoverexposurepodcast. And of course, thank you for listening.